You're listening to Star Wars The Saga Continues. Your hosts, Kyle Avery and Tim Jirasi, are scouring the Holonet for news and bringing you all of the latest updates on the future of the Star Wars universe. And the future is bright indeed, so we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. Always in motion is the future. This is just the beginning. You'll find I'm full of surprises. It's not over yet. No. There is another. Hey there, Star Wars fans. You're listening to episode 46 of Star Wars The Saga Continues, your podcast for all the latest news, updates, and rumors on Star Wars Episode 7 and 8 and 9 and spinoff films and all that other good stuff, as well as all the other new and exciting projects coming up in the Star Wars universe. On this episode, we're going to be talking about the premiere of Star Wars Rebels, um, but also we've got a lot of Episode 7 stuff to get to as well. As always, I'm your host, Kyle, and I've got my co-host, Tim, with me. How's it going, Tim? Hey, Kyle, doing good. Man, it seems like only yesterday we were talking about this new animated series that got announced. <laughs> I, look, I looked it up. It was on episode 14 of our podcast back in May of 2013 where we first were talking about Star Wars Rebels and what could it be and what characters and what's the storyline, the premise is going to be. And here we are almost over a year later, episode 46, and the series has premiered and almost everyone has seen it now. So it's going to be great to finally to go into depth and talk about it to see what we thought now that it's been over a year and thought we were excited for it. It's finally here now and it's going to be great to finally get to talk about it and just see what's going to come next from this series. So it should be a fun episode. Wow. And I did not even realize it had been that long and that many episodes since it first got announced. But um, yeah, I guess the time flies when you're waiting for episode seven. Yeah, <laughs> Rebels kind of snuck up on too. us in the meantime. Yeah, because hopefully it'll be the same thing with episode seven, where we'll be saying, man, it felt just like yesterday. We started this podcast back in 2012, but it's going to be here before you know it, too. So that's a good thing. Yeah, well, see, I think the wait for Rebels went by so fast because we were distracted by waiting for episode seven. But now that Rebels is here, maybe, you know, actually getting to watch the show, that'll take our mind off of waiting for episode seven. And so, you know, by the time we get done with the first season of Rebels, it'll be like, oh, hey, look at that. Episode seven's only a few months away. Exactly. Yes. So hopefully that'll be exactly what happens. Yeah, hopefully. But uh, before we get into our big in-depth Rebels review, um, man, I was hoping that this episode was just going to be, you know, focused on Rebels. We just released a new episode a few days ago talking about a lot of Episode 7 stuff. Um, And with Rebels, you know, just having aired this past Friday, I was like, okay, there probably won't be too much stuff and we'll just focus on Rebels. But... There have been a ton of new Episode 7 rumors dropping this week, and so we're going to run down all those first. Um, And the first one we'll talk about is sort of a follow-up to something we talked about on our last episode with the reveal of that really cool-looking Chrome Stormtrooper armor. Um, And we don't have any more new pictures of it this week, but we do have a report from uh, MakingStarWars.net. Actually, I think all of our rumors this week are from MakingStarWars.net, but... um, I mean, they sort of elaborate on the just the description of the Chrome Stormtrooper armor, and they say that the concept art that we saw uh, last time was just going to be sort of for the, the main standard troopers, but that there's going to be, um, I mean, and we've heard this before, that there'll be some sort of commander of these Chrome Stormtroopers that, uh, you know, there's rumors that it's going to be played by Gwendolyn Christie, but we don't know that for sure. 
Um, and they're saying, I mean, I guess whoever is uh, writing this report has seen some images or something that they're not sharing with us, but they're just giving a description. And they say that the the helmet for this stormtrooper commander looks a little bit different, um, that it's got sort of a, a crest going across the top, sort of like the TIE fighter pilots and the um, AT-AT, you know, snowtrooper pilots have. Um, or it's just sort of like that ridge going along the top. Also, they say that it's got, they, they said some sort of communication device on the left side of the helmet that can like go up and down and it's not on the right side. And I mean, they didn't really elaborate much on the description of it, but the first thing that popped into my head was the little visor, you know, flip down thing that Boba Fett has. Um, and also the arc troopers from Clone Wars. And so I'm thinking maybe this kind of looks like an arc trooper helmet, but in like black and chrome, and they also said that the the uh, faceplate looks sort of more angular and folded, and not as sort of sleek and rounded off. And they compared it almost more to Darth Vader's helmet. So um, kind of hard to get a, a real clear picture of it from this description. But it sounds pretty cool, Tim. What do you think? Yeah, like you said, it sounds really cool. <laughs> I wanted to see an image of it. I was reading the description, but um, one thing I was disappointed with too was in this report they were saying how. Uh, now the image we saw last time with the crown trooper with the hood and all that, they said that the hood has been removed and that, that not, might not be part of the costume now, which I kind of was digging that look of a stormtrooper or a new trooper with a hood. Like it would be like a cross between a Sith and a stormtrooper, which I thought looked pretty cool in that image, but it looks like it got uh, removed or uh, I think they've used the word demoted in the concept art phase and the final design. So that was a little disappointing to me, but reading this other description, just makes me really eager to see this concept art of, or this image of anything really of this new trooper. And I'm just glad too, because I was in the last episode, I was saying, I hope it's not just one or two Chrome troopers that are about, we're going to see in the movie, but hopefully it'll be a few of them. And there was going to be like a main leader or a commander for them. So I was glad that looks like that's kind of getting more steam in this report too, where that looks like it will be the case. And maybe it will be Grendel and Christie, which is a going rumor about that character right now. So it's pretty cool. But the other interesting part of this is what the weapon of this Chrome Trooper commander is going to be. And it describes it as a Wampa Claw lightsaber. I heard that like, oh man, that could actually sound pretty cool because I know there's a character in the EU. I forget her name, but she's in one of the like uh, encyclopedia books. I, I believe it's Jedi versus Sith. Uh, the Essential Guide to the Force is the book I have. And I remember seeing an image of a female character with a lightsaber of a Rancor tooth. <laughs> and when I saw this report, it reminded me of that. I think that could be pretty cool. But the fact that we could see this Chrome Trooper where his or her weapon is going to be a lightsaber, I think it's going to be really cool. And I said this on a, a past episode as well. How cool would it be to see someone in the type of Stormtrooper type armor with a lightsaber? I think that's going to look pretty awesome. So... I don't know, from what we saw that image last time and then this description here, these Chrome Trooper just might be the standout, <laughs> one of the standout characters from this movie, at least visually, because everything I hear about it sounds really cool. I just can't wait to see more. Oh, yeah, especially this commander, too. I mean, we yeah. still don't know what the main body armor is going to look like, but they did say that the the Stormtrooper commander would have, like, a flowing cape behind them. And, yeah, like you said, with this lightsaber that's carved from a Wampa Claw, like, that sounds really cool. Um, and yeah, also, I mean, just the idea that I don't know if this person would be a force user necessarily. I mean, whether it's, uh, a force adept, you know, stormtrooper or sort of a dark side disciple, you know, maybe one of these Sith inquisitors who just happens to also be a stormtrooper commander. I don't know. Or it could also be someone, um, you know, sort of a, a more human general grievous, I guess, someone who's just a really skilled, 
um, fighter and, uh, you know, weapons practitioner and someone who can manage to wield a lightsaber without the, uh, you know, the aid of the force. Um, and you know, this sort of person I'm guessing probably wouldn't last very long against Luke Skywalker in a lightsaber duel if they can't use the force, but could be a pretty for formidable threat for, um, some of the newer characters. If we have any sort of young Jedi in training or people who are just discovering the force sort of like Luke was in a new hope in the original trilogy, um, that could be pretty cool to see. And yeah, I mean, just the image of a stormtrooper commander with this new sort of chrome armor and a cape and a red lightsaber and everything. I'm like, man, that just gets your imagination going. And that's a really cool description for a villain right there. And I'm hoping too, that we're not building this up too much. And it's going to be a character who's not in it that much and doesn't really have that much screen time or presence or maybe like something like Boba Fett and Empire and Jedi. I don't know, but either way, Regardless if it's little or small, what kind of presence this character is going to have in the movie, it's just going to be cool no matter how long or short. We'll see this Chrome Trooper in Episode 7. Hopefully it'll be longer, and hopefully even a recurring character who lasts through Episode 8 and 9. Who knows? But, yeah, it's going to be visually, at least for the most part, it's going to be awesome to see this Chrome Storm Trooper. I just, again, I said this last episode, just cannot wait to see the official image <laughs> of this uh, Trooper release because I think it's... Right now, it's kind of on the top of my list as far as what I want to of official images I want to see be released first. So, hopefully, it will. We won't have to wait too long until we get like the first images of certain characters, and I'm just going, "Where's the Chrome Trooper? Where's the Chrome Trooper? Where's the Chrome Trooper image?" Because <laughs> it's like the one that I really want to see right away. Because it just sounds so cool. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned on our last episode too that you thought this would make a cool collectible or action figure or something like that. And with the Chrome Stormtrooper, I was like, yeah, I could see that. That would be pretty cool. But with this Chrome Trooper Commander, I'm like, okay, yeah, that's going to make a cool, you know, gentle giant statue or sideshow collectible or, you know, even just an action figure or whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, like you said, I can't wait to see official images of these. Can't wait to see them in action in the movie. But just from these descriptions, it sounds really cool. Yeah, we'll probably have to end up getting the whole, like, whatever, how many members of the Chrome Trooper battalion there is, we'll have to get all, the whole collection, no matter how many they are, because they're probably all just going to look too cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we've got a couple other new rumors, uh, and these ones sort of pertain to Daisy Ridley's character and um, sort of her home and where she starts off in Episode 7. Um, and again, these are all just rumors and, you know, reports of, you know, we're hearing this and our source said this and yada, yada. But, uh, you know, so of course take it all with a grain of salt, but some of this stuff sounds pretty interesting. Um, and at least for me is like, well, this is sort of unexpected and, um, directly in contrast to my initial assumption that she was going to be Han and Leia's daughter. But, um, I mean, this new report says that uh, basically her character, who they're calling Kira, and that's another uh, rumor that we've heard was that's going to be the name of the character, and it seems like that's just sort of the running theory for now, um, but that she lives on Tatooine in the wreckage of an Imperial walker, um, you know, this crashed AT-AT that had you know, fallen in a battle a long time ago, and she is basically just sort of hollowed the thing out and has her own like junk hauler ship that she keeps stored inside this, uh, you know, hollowed out wreck of an AT-AT. But I mean, that's pretty cool. If, uh, I mean, if then this ends up being true, just seeing that imagery. Um, and of course that's obviously a huge callback to the original trilogy and, uh, you know, just seeing some of these iconic vehicles again. And there's something in this report about, um, you know, seeing crash tie fighters and the head of an ATSD. Um, off in the distance and you're half buried in the sand and everything. 
Um, so it would also be interesting to see, like, if this does end up being true, I hope we get to find out what sort of the backstory is here and what this battle was that took place. Because obviously we never see a battle on Tatooine in the original trilogy. We see an Imperial presence there for sure um, in A New Hope when they're looking for the droids and everything. But we never see a battle with AT ATATs or anything like that. So, um, you know, I want to know, like, if this is true, how did these things get here in the first place? And, you know, is there some sort of cool backstory to whatever battle happened here? But also to have a main character who's just kind of... Um, you know, chilling out and living in the wreckage of an old Imperial battle. Like, that's just pretty cool imagery right there. Yeah, I got to say, when I first read this report, I really kicked out over it, man. <laughs> the idea of someone using an AT-AT walker as their home is a really cool concept. I think it's going to be awesome to see on screen. And I think uh, with all these making Star Wars reports that we're going to be talking about, I believe most of these are coming from some concept art that uh, they got in their hands on and they're sharing the descriptions of. So, I mean, I could think, I just want to see concept art of that because it just sounds so cool. And to see it actually in the movie is going to be pretty awesome. I mean, to have someone use like the belly of the ATAT -AT as their home and as a garage, I think they're describing it, where it's going to keep some transports there. And just, I don't know, it's going to be so cool to see that. I just really geeked out over it. And it makes sense too because if you remember, and one of the early set photos we got when they first started filming in Abu Dhabi, we saw that uh, set piece on there that looked like the foot of an AT-AT -AT walker. And we all kind of assumed that it was, and maybe it'll just be like, at least I kind of thought it would be like part of a wrecked AT-AT -AT walker from an old battle that happened long ago. That's kind of all I thought it would be. But now to see that it might be used as a home for Daisy Ridley's character, that's <laughs> just so cool. I just think that's such a cool idea and concept, and I just can't wait to see that on screen. And to see how uh, she has it all decked out in the, from the inside and out. And just seeing, because like, like you said, to describe TIE fighters, some ATSTs there too. Just to see the wreckage of um, some Imperial ships and vehicles that were from an old battle. And But you mentioned this too. It does make you think, because we're all assuming the stuff they filmed in Abu Dhabi is on Tatooine. But like you said, there's never been any battles mentioned from the original trilogy Sure, certain things can happen off screen that we don't know about, and stuff in the EU now is not in that canon, so anything's possible for it to be Tatooine. But it does make me think a little bit what if this isn't Tatooine? Because that's the first time that possibility popped into my head. Because you think Desert Planet in Star Wars, it has to be Tatooine, it just has to. But then you kind of hear in some reports that, oh, maybe this is just a war torn planet that's now a wasteland that maybe will look similar to Tatooine now, but that wasn't the case before. So I don't know. I'm still pretty sure it will end up being Tatooine because, like I said, it just wouldn't be Star Wars if you're not on Tatooine, especially if they are using a desert environment. So it just makes you think a little bit. Uh, but regardless, the idea of Daisy Ridley's character living in an ad at at the start of a movie uh, just sounds so cool. I just can't wait to see it in a live action. But, but first, if we get some concept art images, whether it's leaked out or released somehow before we see the actual movie it's just going to be awesome i just can't wait to see something of it because the way it's described it just sounds so cool i just can't wait yeah now the other thing too i mean when you're saying it might be a different planet uh not necessarily tatooine but the thing that makes me think it still probably will be i mean aside from the obvious like you said it's star wars it's a desert planet why not just keep using tatooine but um, but also, you know, the, some of those earliest, uh, leaked photos that we got of the set in Abu Dhabi and that sort of desert town and marketplace and all that kind of stuff. And how, I mean, at the time when those were leaked, we saw sort of comparisons to some of Ralph McQuarrie's original concept art for Tatooine, um, for the original trilogy. And there were th certain things that you could obviously tell were like taken straight from it. And so obviously, I mean, 
who's to say they couldn't have taken that concept art and used it for a different planet. But that for me is still a big connection there that it's like, Oh, here's some concept art for Tatooine. So we'll use it to make Tatooine in the different movie. That's true. And this, from those earlier set images released, and even that uh, Force for Change video with J.J. Abrams and that creature walking by, it just looked like a Tatooine marketplace that you saw in Mos Eisley or Mos Espa. It just had that feel to it where you knew it was Tatooine. And if it was another planet, it would just be too much of the same thing and just to call it something different. So, yeah, I'm still in the 90, like high 90% <laughs> range that it will be Tatooine in, this, in Episode 7. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, especially if Daisy Ridley's character ends up not being related to Han and Leia at all, um, you know, then obviously this is sort of like a parallel to the beginning of A New Hope where you've got uh, sort of just this young orphan on their own on Tatooine, except it's different enough in that, um, you know, it's not Luke who is living on a farm with his aunt and uncle. It's this girl who's, you know, sort of on her own and has uh, sort of taken up refuge in this wreckage of an old Imperial battle somewhere. So, um, you know, I, I like that it's sort of a, a similar concept to the way the character starts off, but obviously it's going to be a lot different imagery and, uh, you know, just a cool different setting for it. Mm -hmm. And speaking of Daisy Ridley's character, I know, like you said, maybe there is, because pretty much almost you and me anyway, and I know a lot of people online are assuming that she's going to be Han and Leia's daughter or somehow related to the Skywalker solo family. And just some reports that we're hearing now how like her home is on Tatooine or this desert planet living in an AT-AT walker, that maybe she's not going to be related to them and it's going to be a brand new character. But I don't know about you, but I'm still under the impression that she's going to be related or have the Skywalker solo bloodline in her. Maybe it's going to be something where they don't know or she doesn't know if it's something they lost. They think they lost their child a long time ago, thinking that she's dead, and then maybe it'll get revealed to them later that that's their daughter. But I don't know. I think there might be some surprise down the line with her and her character. Where I just think she's going to have that Skywalker bloodline in her somewhere down the line. Because I think if all signs are pointing that she's going to be the main character of this movie and probably the whole trilogy, I just think that character is going to be a Skywalker. It just I don't know. In the main episodes of the Star Wars saga, one through nine, I think the main character has to be a Skywalker. Maybe I'll be wrong, but in my opinion, I think that's the way it's going to go. Yeah, I would definitely like it if they kept it that way and if she was related somehow. Um, and, you know, it could be something where maybe she's Han and Leia's daughter and, you know, decided that she didn't want to be a Jedi or a Republic diplomat or something. And so she just kind of went off on her own and ended up here. Or, I mean, we have no idea what they're planning for the backstory as far as what happens in the 30 years in between six and seven. So maybe she got separated at a young age and, uh, you know, doesn't know that she's Han and Leia's daughter or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of different possibilities out there. Um, but yeah, I mean, you have to think that somehow this is going to connect. Um, and the other thing I just thought of, too. And we've heard all these, uh, you know, these other rumors recently about Adam Driver's character and how he supposedly is playing like some young aristocrat um, and supposedly is an imperial or something like that and, you know, collects all these Sith artifacts and stuff. But what if he's the, the Skywalker connection in this movie? Like, what if he's playing Han and Leia's son and, uh, you know, Leia's so busy being a Republic diplomat and Han is so busy being a, a rebel general or something or a pilot or whatever he's doing that they don't realize that their, you know, sort of rich, spoiled son has developed a, a fascination with the dark side and started collecting all these artifacts and stuff. Yeah, that's another theory I've heard, too, about uh, Adam Driver's character, that he could be a solo child, too. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I just... 
really hope that's the next thing we get <laughs> regarding episode seven character names and character descriptions or relations to how they are to the other characters i'm hoping that's what's next down the line hopefully by the end of the year yeah hopefully but you never know with jj abrams and his secrets yeah <laughs> um but then you know something else interesting that sort of uh stems from that first uh daisy weirdly rumor with the at18 everything um there's this other rumor about her having um and i kind of mentioned this before but it's its own separate article where they're talking about how she's got her own starship and it's well not necessarily a starship but a i don't know a freighter hauler kind of ship a junker you know, scrap collector, whatever you want to call it, but some sort of bulky freighter ship um, that she keeps stored in the ATAT, and she can, uh, you know, detach tow cables from it and stuff and haul junk across the desert. And so, I mean, maybe she's some kind of scavenger. Maybe she's just here temporarily trying to collect, you know, uh, wreckage or scavenger, uh, what do you call it, salvage, um, get, you know, salvage from this battle. Um, and is just, you know, sort of hold up in the AT-AT for now while she sort of scouts around and collects other kind of stuff. Um, but something else they mentioned in this rumor is that she uses her ship and also the hog squaddle, uh, you know, I put quotation marks around that cause that's what the fans have dubbed it. The big pig like thing that we've seen in the, um, some of these other leaked photos, um, that apparently we're going to see them hauling, a couple of X-Wings across the desert with the hog squaddle and her little junker ship or whatever. Um, and that she's going to, you know, salvage these two old busted X-Wings that she and John Boyega are going to use to get off Tatooine and uh, meet up with the rest of the characters or something like that. So, I mean, that sounds like a pretty interesting idea. We still don't know how these characters are going to meet up in the first place, sort of, you know, how they get to where they are. But, um, you know, the idea that they don't necessarily just go off and, you know, happen to bump into Han Solo and, uh, you know, go on their big quest or whatever, but they have to actually, like, salvage some old X-Wings to, you know, get there in the first place. That's kind of a cool idea. Yeah, I'm just liking this whole, uh, what we're going to see on this desert planet or Tatooine, because if it is Tatooine, it's probably going to be one of the cooler sequences that we've seen in a Star Wars movie, because we just think about the AT-AT walker being used as Daisy Ridley's character's home, and then there's going to be, like, wreckages of, of downed TIE fighters, and this one, in this report, it mentions how there's, like, a Star Destroyer that's crashed in the, like, horizon of this area, and how we're going to see this uh, monster, the Hog Squaddle, <laughs> be, like, towing some X-Wings and stuff, so it's just going to be visually, I think it's going to look really cool, some stuff we haven't seen on Tatooine before, and I just can't wait to see it. I just wonder how long we're going to be on there. Is it going to be on the start of the movie, or is it going to be the middle is it going to be like this very short or we're going to spend a good amount of portion of episode seven on Tatooine. I don't know, but regardless, it's just sounding really cool. At least uh, this section of the, of the movie is going to be cool to see. I mean, we'll see where it stacks up with episode one and the pod rays or episode four and episode six uh, with the Tatooine sequences, but I'm liking what I'm hearing so far about all these reports that are coming out from this sequence. So yeah, it should be fun to see once we actually do get to see it play out. Yeah, well, I mean, if all this stuff ends up being true, it definitely sounds to me like this is beginning of the movie type story stuff. Um, and, you know, maybe not like the first scene. Maybe we could see something else first, but I, I definitely would think like first half. You know, there's also, too, I mean, there's been reports and even one of those Abu Dhabi set images where there's smoked and looks like there's a crash ship. So I'm just wondering, like, this is what Daisy Ridley and John Boyega's character, because the rumors are that it could be John Boyega's downshipped. Of course, then you got the rumor about uh, 
the light Luke's lightsaber crashing down on the planet somehow. So maybe they're going to use this creature like to salvage the, the crash ship that's either John Boyega's or whatever ship Luke's lightsaber <laughs> might possibly in. They're describing it as a wet, an X-Wing, so it makes sense maybe that's it. But that might be maybe what they're using after that ship crash landed. They're going to use this creature to haul it into her or ATAT home and then try to salvage it. So all those certain things are piecing together a little bit as far as the sequence from the Abu Dhabi sets and then these new reports coming out. Yeah, and you know, something else that I like, and I sort of just put this together right now, but um, you know, so this is just pure speculation on my part. But of course, yeah, we've heard the rumors about John Boyega, you know, deserting the Empire and crashing here in a TIE fighter or whatever. Um, we've also heard the rumors about Luke's lightsaber just sort of floating in space and then crashing to the planet. But then if there was some sort of battle here and they're salvaging TIE fighters and or salvaging X-Wings and all that kind of stuff, like what if Luke was involved in the battle and they salvage an X-Wing that just happened to be his and then find the lightsaber stored in that X-Wing? Yeah. Um, like I like that idea a whole lot better than just lightsaber falls from the sky, hero picks it up, hero goes on epic journey. Like that's a little bit too cliché. Yeah, I know what you mean there, and it wouldn't make more sense that way. And who knows? Maybe it was uh, R two who was fly, flying that X wing. I don't know. If we've seen. I know we haven't seen any pictures of it or reports of that R two is going to be in the Abu Dhabi like set when they were filming there. If there were any reports about an R two unit being there, because maybe he'll be there from the beginning with Daisy Ridley and John Boyega's characters. Because you know, one of the droids has to be there at some point from the start to beat follow them on their adventures. So maybe they'll be with R two. Yeah, possibly. But that kind of leads into the next rumor. Um, and this one is talking about, um, you know, a possible new R2 unit, an alien sidekick, um, the two main heroes and some sort of ancient discovery. And basically the, the gist of this rumor is that there's a scene of, um, you know, Daisy Ridley's character and John Boyega's character standing um, on Tatooine or whatever this desert planet is, um, they're standing together with an R2 unit who looks similar to R2-D2, but it's sort of, they they liken it to um, sort of an astromech droid getting the same sort of upgrade that they've applied to the new stormtroopers, where they say it's still got a dome and everything, but it's a little bit smaller, a little bit sleeker, and, uh, you know, looks a little bit different. Um, so, you know, this could be Daisy Ridley's astromech droid or something like that. And then also, um, yeah, a new alien sidekick. Um, and I'll just read the, the description here. They say standing next to him, we have an alien. He's slightly taller. Um, his eyes are just black and tiny. His mouth is almost a round snout, which is sort of like an armadillo. His skin is darker brown, but in this image, it appears blue from the light. He has a towel on his head and his costume appears to be similar to a kimono. Um, and I've seen, I don't know if it was on makingstarwars.net or somewhere else, they sort of just uh, compared it to um, the Felutians from the Clone Wars um, that we see in the episode Bounty Hunters. They're sort of like the short little native farmer guys. Um, now, when they say in this description, when they say standing next to him, we have an alien and he's slightly taller, I don't know if they mean slightly taller than the droid or slightly taller than... Uh, John Boyega and Daisy Ridley. So I was kind of picturing a taller alien, I guess. But it was actually in comparison to the droid, I believe, from the report. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, if they're saying he's slightly taller than the droid and it's a, a little short alien guy, I could see how it maybe could be one of those solutions or could be a completely new species. I don't know. But um, then they're all standing around together and Daisy Ridley ignites a lightsaber. And, uh, you know, so it's like they've 
I guess maybe they've found this, um, you know, lightsaber hilt somewhere and now they're sort of turning it on for the first time and discovering what it is. So, um, or apparently, okay, I don't know. I guess it says it's John Boyega's character who has it in his hand. Um, and Daisy really is the one who's like, you know, she's looking at it and sort of startled. Um, and this is probably, you know, like you said, a, a description of more concept art that they've seen, but that we haven't seen uh, leaked images of yet. But um, I mean, this sounds pretty cool too, if it does end up being true. Um, and again, you know, kind of hard to get a picture of what this alien creature might be, but, um, you know, just sort of this idea of the characters, you know, we've got some unknown characters on a backwater planet that find this lightsaber. And then suddenly, you know, it's this journey of discovery and what is this thing? And, um, sounds like we're going to have some more characters taking their first steps into a larger world, as someone once said. Yeah, even in the description for making Star Wars in this report, it ends it by saying this could be one of the most memorable sequences from the next trilogy of Star Wars films. I guess it could probably be the first time in the movie, I'm guessing, when we see a lightsaber ignite. And if it's Luke's lightsaber from Return of the Jedi that they have there and they're igniting for the first time, that would be pretty cool to see how it all unfolds. I think in, the, in one of the reports of the... I don't know if it was this one or another one, but the alien description of this uh, new character. It sounds like maybe the reason they're going to this alien he might be someone who's like a weapon expert or knows about lightsabers, and maybe they're going to him for more information. Kind of maybe like the, De the Dexter Jetster of this uh, movie. Uh, Obi-Wan went to him for more weapons or explanations on the weapons. So maybe that's what this character is going to be. And it just makes you think, too, is this going to be like a CG character that Andy Serkis is going to play? Who knows? But his description sounds kind of different than some you haven't really seen before in Star Wars. This little creature looks like an armadillo, uh, who has an armadillo-type snout, but then he's wearing a kimono, and then he has a towel over his head. So I'm kind of anxious to see what this character is going to look like, and if he's going to be one of the more central aliens in Episode Seven. So, yeah, just more descriptions and stuff that sounds really cool and just makes you anxious to see what exactly <laughs> these characters are going to look like, just how big of a role this one's going to play. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in, in the next rumor that we've got, it's sort of a a little bit of an elaboration on that, I guess you could say, on that one alien creature. Um, but they're saying they're not necessarily sure if it's the same guy, but he's, uh, you know, it's like this alien creature who's sitting alone in the dark at a table and there's a fire burning and he's like heating up a crystal over the fire and looks like he's some sort of weaponsmith or something like that. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, I think this could possibly be the character that Andy Serkis is playing if this does end up being true, um, because, you know, if it's going to be like a CGI alien character, of course, they could have him doing the motion capture for that. And it does seem, at least from, from this point and from these just couple of rumors that we've heard, um, seems like this could be a character with some significance and not just like a background alien character who just happens to bump into them. Um, but yeah, I mean, that could be pretty interesting to see if, I don't know, maybe this alien helps them build a lightsaber or figure out what the lightsaber is, or if this crystal has something to do with the lightsaber or with, you know, some other kind of weapon or technology altogether. But, um, I mean, this does seem like it could be pretty cool if we have some sort of little alien weapons expert who can build crystals for lightsabers. Like we've never seen that before in the Star Wars movies. We've seen... Yeah. Um, you know, the, the younglings arc in the Clone Wars where they go and get their lightsaber crystals and have uh, the ancient droid Hu Yang who helps them build their lightsabers. And that was really cool to see on the show. But um, to see in a Star Wars movie for the first time, seeing a character actually construct their lightsaber, like how cool would that be? I know. And it makes you think too that 
more than likely if they're going someone for help on this lightsaber that it's probably going to be damaged and maybe it's not working for them and either the crystal's busted or they, they got to get a new one because in this report it describes the crystal in this scene too. So maybe they're looking for a new crystal and this uh, alien character has to build it and just to help get it working again. And it just makes you think too, like what is this character going to be? Like what's his backstory since he would know how lightsabers work? Is he going to be a Jedi or just an alien creature who they know is Force-sensitive? So it's going to be interesting to see what kind of creature this or character in general this new alien species is going to be. Yeah, for sure. And also, I mean, in that other report, um, it said something about, you know, they're meeting under the cover of darkness when they turn on this lightsaber for the first time. And so maybe, like you said, maybe the lightsaber is damaged, maybe it's missing a crystal. And so maybe they've previously been in contact with this guy and asked him to, you know, create a new crystal or repair the crystal or whatever. Um, because I'm thinking, you know, if they've found this lightsaber before, I mean, this image, the, the first image that they were describing where it's all these characters meeting in the desert, it could be when they, you know, they've just discovered the lightsaber for the first time. But if it's not, I'm like, well, why are they all sneaking out into the desert to activate it for the first time? Why wouldn't someone have just like pushed the button on it when they first picked it up wondering, oh, what is this? Um, so yeah, maybe it was damaged at first and wouldn't work. And so they've been in contact with this guy and, you know, asked him to make a new crystal or fix the crystal or whatever you have to do. Um, and so they're all like meeting out in the desert under cover of darkness because the guy has the, the repaired crystal or the repaired lightsaber for them and they're meeting together and he's giving it back to them. And now they're turning it on for the first time where it actually works. Um, so again, just more rampant speculation on my part, but yeah, that could be a, a pretty cool scene, especially if it's a recognizable lightsaber like Luke's from, Return of the Jedi, or even if that first wild rumor is true that somehow it's his one that he lost in Cloud City. I don't know, but... Uh, I don't um, know about that, but I will say this. If it is his lightsaber from Return of the Jedi and it's damaged, then once they put a new crystal in, hopefully it'll be blue instead of green for this one. <laughs> I don't know. I'm hoping it's still green just so we recognize that it's still Luke's. Or it'll come out green, but then it'll flicker and go back to blue. <laughs> nah, that would just be weird. Just to make me happy. <laughs> all us blue lightsaber fans happy. <laughs> well, look, I love blue lightsabers too, but I also really like Luke's lightsaber from Return of the Jedi. So, I mean, either way, I'd be happy. But if it's Luke's, I just don't want them to change the color of it. Yeah, it would be kind of weird, but I just wanted to see another blue one as the main character's lightsaber again. Hopefully, yeah, especially, can... oh, I was just going to say, especially if they meet up with Luke later in the movie and give it back to him, he'd be like... Okay, the hilt looks like mine, but what did you do to the blade? Yeah. <laughs> well, we like the color blue better. <laughs> yeah, plus, uh, I don't know. For some reason, it just looks better when you have – because you assume that either John Boyega or Daisy Ridley, they're going to have their lightsabers too. And I don't know. It just looks better when you have someone with a green, someone with the blue instead of like two of the same color. I know – it sounds kind of hypocritical if I say with Anakin and Obi-Wan because they both had blue, but being someone who likes the blue lightsaber color better, it didn't bother me too much. But there's just something cool about the blue and green working together that you saw in episode one with Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. So hopefully we'll probably see that in episode seven again, or who knows, maybe a new color. We did see that orange-yellow uh, slash uh, type color we saw in that concept art with the Millennium Falcon and that uh, villain character with that lightsaber. So who knows of what colors we might get in this one, but. I think it's pretty safe to say blue and green or a definite <laughs> ones we're going to see in episode seven. Yeah, we'll see. Then they could just give the new characters blue ones and let Luke keep his green one. There you go. We have it worked out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and maybe someone down the line will get purple and be the new Mace Windu. Yeah, maybe. Um, but yeah, I mean, that should obviously be really cool to see once we finally see it play out. I mean, yeah, just the, the moment of 
seeing episode seven for the first time and the first time anyone ignites a lightsaber, like that's going to be really cool, regardless of what color it is. Yeah, because it was a great moment in episode one when Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan ignited their lightsabers in the Trade Federation droids. So when the gas was coming out, you just see those two lightsabers ignite. That was so cool to see for the first time. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure this is going to have a similar moment like that where you're yeah. just going to geek out so much. Oh, yeah, man. Definitely can't wait to see it. Um, and then we've got another rumor, and this one's pretty interesting. This is about uh, Max von Sydow's character, um, and this is uh, you know a, a rumor saying, and again, this is I'm pretty sure a, a more descriptions of uh, concept art that these guys at MakingStarWars.net have seen. Um, but they're saying that uh, you know Max von Sydow's character is not an ancient Sith Lord or a supernatural being with an awesome voice. He's a beaten man. He's old enough to have lived through the Clone Wars, seen the intergalactic civil war unfold, and then the aftermath of the fall of Emperor Palpatine. He's no longer a man. He's a cyborg. His eye is obscured by an ocular viewing device, most likely from past injury, which meant he could no longer use the eye with any ease. One leg is entirely cybernetic now, almost like a super battle droid, but with metallic claws where his toes would be. He sits at a bar drinking, wary and old. If you have an oddity, a rare weapon, you might want to bring it to him for evaluation. Um, and then they post the, the picture that J.J. Abrams posted um, for the, the Force for Change thing where he's got a picture of this cybernetic hand holding his, uh, his handwritten note. Um, and it's, you know, in this report from Making Star Wars, they're saying most likely his arm is the one we were shown in the J.J. Abrams picture. Um, so that could be pretty cool to see, too. I mean, obviously, we were all assuming that this cyborg hand was, you know, from the Inquisitor that we've all been hearing about or this Jedi Hunter guy or whatever, the one with the cybernetic face who's holding the Darth Vader mask and all that kind of stuff. Um And, you know, but uh, the idea that he could just be sort of this again, this old man who um, knows a lot about rare weapons and old relics and all that kind of stuff. And I, I think it would just be a cool connection to have, you know, a, an old character who's lived long enough to be able to tell the new characters about the Clone Wars and the Galactic Civil War and be able to have those callbacks to, you know, all these other stories that we know and love. So, um, I don't know, that, that was sort of unexpected because obviously we've been hearing a lot of the character rumors these days revolving around... Sith Lords and Chrome Stormtroopers and, you know, Jedi Hunters and all this kind of stuff. And so to hear that it's just this really old man who's so old that he needs, like, cyborg parts to stay alive, but just sort of knows all this Star Wars history, I'm like, that could be really cool to see, too. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. Just the fact that there could be a character who's lived throughout the course of the Star Wars saga from Episode One. I mean, you could just picture him, like, saying a line, like, Listen, kid, I've been around since the Empire was even formed. I was even in the Republic days. So, like, saying something like that to show how long he's been around, I think, could be really cool. And just have mentioned or name dropped the Clone Wars or something from Clone Wars that would be pretty cool and be another geek out moment for us fans. But you could also chalk this up, this rumor up to another concept art image that I really want to see, too, because the description of him being a cyborg is pretty interesting. I don't know about you, but when I was reading the description, I was thinking, oh, this almost sounds a little bit like uh, Count Vidian from the new Dawn novel. <laughs> Is this going to be that character or something like him? But um, it's just how he's going to be like cybernetic with his eyes. Sounds pretty interesting. And the fact, too, it's described him as someone who could be uh, like a weapons ex expert and you bring it to him for valuation. And we were talking about that being that alien character. But maybe this is the first person they go to and maybe Max von Seidel knows, okay, since this is a lightsaber, this is where you need to go and this is who you need to talk to. And then maybe he brings them to that new alien creature type thing. So, yeah, this one was pretty different where 
Max von Sydow's role for Episode Seven, like you said, we were kind of thinking, or the rumors going around, was that he was going to be an ancient Sith Lord or just the voice, because you know Max von Sydow is known for an awesome voice. So <laughs> that was kind of the rumor going around that he maybe just be doing voiceover. But this sounds pretty cool and interesting too. So yeah, I just chalked this one up, like I said, to another list of the stuff we just can't wait to see for Episode Seven. So I wonder with all these descriptions that are coming out, who knows how much we're going to see? Probably like in the first shots or the first trailer even and how much are they going to save and how much are they going to want to reveal for each character as they release like promo images and trailers and stuff. That's another interesting thought because there's a lot of, it seems like there's going to be a lot of characters in this movie and we don't know how large or small the roles will be, but we'll see how much we get to see of them when they start promoting episode seven. It should be interesting to see unfold as the months go by to release. Oh yeah. I mean, I can't wait to see, you know, how much of this ends up being true, you know, what it actually looks like on screen when we see it for the first time. But also, I mean, something that kind of intrigues me too is like, as much as we get into sort of analyzing this stuff and it's almost like once we hear it, you know, the, the tendency is to almost just sort of assume that it's true, you know, if it sounds plausible. And once we start hearing these different rumors connecting on certain plot elements and things like that. But um, I mean, still we're going off of, descriptions from people who've apparently seen pieces of concept art that might not even make it into the final film or could have been changed or whatnot. So, I mean, some of this stuff might not even end up being true, but for the stuff that does end up being true, um, you know, I also want to see like, is there more to it to this, uh, or, you know, more to it than just what we know right now. Um, because, you know, they're, they're saying that, uh, you know, like in this piece of concept art, he just seems like an old man who, you know, you bring stuff to. But I mean, what if that's like the Inquisitor in disguise or something like that? Um, because, you know, how many cyborg characters can you have in a movie before it starts to feel like, OK, this guy's a cyborg, that guy's a cyborg. We get it. They want to have a lot of cyborgs in the movie. But, you know, what? You know, it could be a disguise. It could be... Um, you know, maybe he has some sort of connection to the Inquisitor or something like that. Or even if those two are completely unrelated, I mean, you know, if this little alien creature turns out to be an Imperial spy or this little old, you know, this old man who just knows about weapons and stuff happens to be a a former Jedi or maybe a, a veteran of the Clone Wars or something like that, you know, not just someone who lived through it and saw it, but who actually fought in it or something like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just can't wait to find out all these little details and stuff that we're not even going to get from just descriptions of concept art, but just from the stuff we're hearing so far, like, you know, it's enough to, to get your imagination going and make you think, okay, well, if this is true, it could be some pretty cool stuff. Yeah. That's the hard part with these rumors and uh, speculation stuff that comes around. It's just like how much of this stuff, like how early was it in production and how much of it is from the. Michael Arndt draft, which we know is going to be changed for the final one. So, like you said, we're just going to have to wait and see till we see the movie or we get more information on about how much of this is accurate and how much has changed. And maybe we said this before, but that making of episode seven book that, you know, eventually it's going to come out. It's going to be a great read to see all the stuff that's changed. And as we're flipping through that book, we're probably going, oh, yeah, that matched up to a rumor I read a while ago. <laughs> so that, that should be another interesting thing to get to know once we get all the information revealed to us down the line sometime next year. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just to give you a little bit of an idea of what I'm talking about, like, I mean, on our last episode, we talked about the Clone Wars Legacy and those new Utapau episodes that they released online, and they released a concept art gallery with it, and looking at that, I, I looked at that concept art gallery before I actually finished watching all the episodes. I think I might have watched it after I'd seen the first two episodes or something because it was when the link for the third one was still broken, so I was like, oh, I'll just look at the concept art, um, because it's not like... 
I mean, for for the previous Clone Wars stuff, like when they had a new episode every week, they'd always have a, a concept art gallery for each episode with like five, I, I think like five pieces of concept art for yeah. each episode. But for this one, it was just like, I think 10 or 11 uh, pieces of concept art for the whole four episode arc. And so I was like, oh, okay, well, it's not that much. So it probably won't be anything too spoilerish. So I'll just go ahead and look at it. Um, and one of the things that was pretty cool in there, they had concept art of the Jedi Deba Bilaba, um, who we've seen in, she was on the Jedi Council in episode one and two, I believe. Um, and then kind of ties into the Clone Wars too, because, um, in A New Dawn, you find out she was going to be Kanan's master as, you know, when he was a Jedi apprentice before Order 66 went down. But, um... Yeah, they had concept art for her that she was going to appear in the episode. And then they also had concept art for a lightsaber handle for Opal Rancisis, which looked pretty cool. I mean, it was kind of curved like Count Dooku's, but instead of having the little thing that comes up from the top, that little, I don't know, ornament or whatever you want to call it, the little spiky thing that sticks up from the top. He had one of those, but it was more like at the bottom and almost curved all the way up the whole length of the handle. So it almost served more as like a, a handguard kind of thing. So seeing those two images, it kind of spoiled those episodes for me because the whole time Anakin and Obi-Wan are like running around in this separatist base and on this droid ship and everything. And I keep expecting that a Republic fleet is going to come out of hyperspace and they're going to get Jedi reinforcements and we're going to see Deba Bilaba and Opa Rancisis in action. But we never saw them at all in those two episodes. And I don't know if they would have added them in later, you know, if I mean, maybe they did the animatics of those episodes and then George and Dave decided, like, oh, hey, let's add some more Jedi in here. And so they did concept art for those guys. And then the show got canceled, so they never got to add them in there. Or if it was something from an earlier stage where they were like, well, let's do concept art for these guys. And then they just never ended up making it into the final episode. So, um, you know, that's just a case where, like, just because they do concept art for it doesn't mean that's definitely what we're going to see in the end. So that could be the case here for any of this Episode 7 stuff. Yeah, good point there too. Yeah, so much stuff can change during pre-production to script stages to filming and the final edit. So yeah, like I said, it's gonna it's gonna be fun going back to look at what made it and what didn't made it and certain things like that. Oh, that could have been cooler than what we got, or what we got was definitely better than what we were they were planning originally. So yeah, just gonna still have to have that wait and see approach when it comes to these rumors and like concept art reports just like if it gets you real excited or kind of gets you disappointed where you don't like where it's going you just kind of have to remember none of this is set in stone or definitely gonna be in the movie just gotta keep your expectations in check just remember things can change you still gotta wait for the final product to, for to reserve your judgment to how you feel about what episode seven is going to be regarding character designs or just uh, plot points or uh characterizations for the main heroes and villains we're going to see in the movie. So it's, we're still at that point where we just got to keep our expectations in check and not to get too excited or too disappointed with what we're hearing right now with all this stuff, even though it's definitely fun to talk about, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then, I mean, speaking of that, just one last thing to mention with the rumors, um, there's been one really big rumor going around that people are saying, you know, is like this huge spoiler and it's sort of the big twist reveal sort of thing, like the I am your father moment of episode seven. Um, not going to give out a spoiler warning here because I'm not even going to get into specifics on this because I personally haven't even read this rumor. Like Tim told me about it and was like, hey, have you heard there's this big new rumor going around that supposedly is like this huge spoiler and huge twist and everything. I was like, I'm not even going to touch it because those are the type of rumors that I've been trying to avoid this whole time. And I think this is the first one we've gotten that has been like that big 
Um, cause a lot of these other ones I'll see a, an article or a rumor or something on a website and it'll be like spoilers ahead. And I'll, I'll check with Tim first and be like, Hey, have you read this yet? Is it that spoilerish? And you're like, nah, it's not that spoiler. So I'm like, okay, I'll go ahead and read it. But with this one, even though I've heard some people say it's sort of, you know, so, some people saying, oh, I don't think that's actually going to happen or that doesn't really sound true to me. Um, I'm still like, well, in case that does end up being true, I'm just going to stay away from it because I do still want to be surprised by this movie, despite all the, you know, the leaked concept art and, uh, you know, pictures and set photos and all that kind of stuff that we talk about on here. I don't want to spoil the whole movie for myself. So big stuff like this, I'm staying away from. Yeah, this one I debated with myself. Oh, it has a huge spoiler tag on there. Like you said, this is like the first one we got like that. So I was like, oh, should I read it? Should I not? I don't know. But I did eventually read it. So <laughs> I won't go into what it was because I know you want to say spoiler free, Kyle. So, um, but in, in the end, I'm kind of glad that I read it because it's something where I, I think my policy is going to be if we're still pretty far away from episode seven. We're still got a, over a year to go and certain things can change with the re- these reports that are coming around. So I'll probably read some more stuff that gets revealed now, but it's when like the movie starts to get close to being finished and we're a few months away and then we're getting to press screenings and I'm going to stay, the thing I'm going to stay away for is like spoiler reviews of the movie because when I read something like this, I still think to myself, well, it could happen. It could not happen. So when I'm sitting in the theater, if this does happen, I would still kind of be like, oh, okay, so they did go there, but still kind of have a thing to prepare myself for. Is like, if it really is going to be a bigger, sh- like a shock to most people who see it, you can kind of get that prep yourself saying, like, okay, this could happen, this could happen, let's see if it does happen. So I could still get a sense of surprise, like waiting to see if it does happen or not. It's kind of where things get confirmed, like if someone sees a movie and they say it's going to happen, that's where it's, that's the stuff I wanted to stay away from. So I can still have that sense of surprise going into episode seven if I read about a possibility of a certain plot point happening. So it is definitely a big uh, spoiler twist in the movie if it is real. I mean, we'll see if it is, but for right now, I'm still on the mindset where I'm still going to go into episode seven kind of not expecting this to happen, so to say. I don't think this is going to end up playing out, and I guess I'll just leave it at that, <laughs> but uh, this probably won't be the last big one I read until now. Like I said, it'll, it'll probably stop when it gets closer, real close to the movie coming out, and we're starting hearing from people who have seen it. Yeah. Well, see, my only problem with that, and this is just for me personally, but when I try to do that, I feel like it's sort of wishful thinking. Like, I'll, I'll read a spoiler for a movie by accident, you know, I'll just I'll happen to hear somebody say something about it, or I'll see something about it online that I, you know, wasn't, you know, didn't know was going to be there or wasn't trying to read spoilers or something like that. Um, and then I go to see the movie and that spoiler is like in the back of my head. And I try to tell myself like, Oh, I don't know for sure that's going to happen. Like I could have misheard it. I could have misread it. That person could have been wrong. Yada, yada, yada. Um, but you know, it still keeps like nagging at me in the back of my mind until it actually happens. And I'm like, nope, crap, it happened. I knew it. Like, so <laughs> that's why I'm just trying to stay away from this stuff. Cause even though it's still just rumors at this point and it's not, you know, anything confirmed or official, um, you know, if, if I happen to, if I go in and it's like, oh, I heard Luke Skywalker was going to die, but I don't know that for sure. Like, I, I hope he doesn't die. And then he dies. I'm going to be like, crap, I knew it. he was going <laughs> to die. That's another thing, too, that made me want to read is like, you know what? I'm probably going to get it spoiled for me somehow. Someone on Twitter or I'm going to read some comment that's going to say what it is. So I might as well just read it for myself because that's happened to me a lot. And one just recently was Rebels. So I figured, let me just read it now for myself. I'll feel better about it instead of hearing about it by accident. 
Yeah. Well, hopefully we can stay away from as much of that stuff as possible, yeah. but I'll try to see. Uh, protect you from it, Kyle. I'll do my best. Yeah. You, you can be my, my spoiler filter. Yes. <laughs> That's my job from here on out now. <laughs> Official title. But, um, yeah, so that's all the rumors for this week, which is a lot considering it's been like a week since we recorded our last episode or not even cause we recorded what Monday and it's Saturday yeah. now. So yeah, not even in a week, we've gotten a whole lot of new, uh, new rumors and all that kind of stuff. But, um, before we get to rebels, there's one other thing. Um, I know you wanted to go over this a little bit, just a new interview with uh, Kiri Hart, who's the vice president of development for Star Wars. I haven't read this whole interview yet. It's over at the Wall Street Journal, but uh, Tim, you want to just run down this for us a little bit? Yeah, this is an interview, like I said, from the Wall Street Journal that happened a few days ago, where they're talking to her pretty much about how Star Wars is, because even in the interview, they compared it to like, she's going to be Star Wars and Lucasfilm's Kevin Feige, who's in charge of like the Marvel Studios movies and kind of building that cohesive, like shared universe throughout all the projects. So it was kind of more into that. And there was something that, at least for me, the big thing I took away from it was there, they were kind of asking her about um, this new era of Star Wars is going to be, because you got Rebels in episode seven. We're seeing a lot of focus on the original trilogy. But then she goes on to say, um, Regarding that, she said, many of us are of an age where the original trilogy kids who are now per- pu- pinching ourselves every day that we're working on Star Wars, there's real affection to what we have for that because it hits us right at the moment. But she's, this is the interesting part where it goes, because of the content that happens to be coming out right now, there's the original trilogy emphasis, but I know I have a lot of interest in all of it. I certainly am experiencing in talking to creative people a lot of interest in all areas of the Star Wars timeline. I think as we keep going, we want to explore to let the idea lead and then go with that. So hearing where she says that, she's already having conversations with uh, different people in the creative process about different eras of the Star Wars timeline. That made me real happy to hear because like we've been talking about, focus has been on the original trilogy a lot and kind of moving away from the prequel era and different other eras of the Star Wars timeline. So just the fact that they're having conversations about um doing different projects, whether who knows if it's TV series, games, or movies being set in the different era of Star Wars is great to hear because I don't want to be set just in like post-Return of the Jedi or even during original trilogy era because there's going to be a lot of Star Wars projects down the line. It would be great to have it in these different eras because the Star Wars universe is so big with so many great stories to tell in these different eras that it would just be kind of a waste if they're just focused on one specific point in the Star Wars timeline. So that made me happy to hear that that's part of their plan and discussions to cover a wide variety and different like genres of for Star Wars and not just to focus on one thing. So kind of being true to like the Marvel fashion, like this article was comparing her to as a Kevin Feige, just to have them kind of be all over the place in the returns with their project with Star Wars. So it was definitely a good article. You should definitely check it out. And it's best, just good to hear that these higher ups at Lucasfilm kind of, they have, they know what they're doing over there. Thankfully they got things in place and, they're not just limited to one specific part of Star Wars. and Because you know that they're fans of all there, especially with the story group, you know, with Pablo Hidalgo and the other members there. They, they're going to want to tell stories not from all different aspects of Star Wars and not just the original trilogy timeline, even though that's the focus now and probably will be for, uh, up until episode, episode seven's release. And who knows how long after that. But I think we're definitely going to be seeing stuff that's going to go hopefully back to the prequel era, maybe Old Republic era, further down the timeline. Who knows? But just good and reassuring to know that uh, we're not going to be stuck just in this one particular time period with Star Wars. Nice of the Old Republic miniseries coming to Netflix 2018. Yeah. <laughs> Calling it right now. Let's do it. 
You heard it here first. Right. It's confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it definitely is good to hear that, though, that, uh, you know, that the higher-ups at Lucasfilm know that that interest is there, and it's not just the fans who are like, oh, I want a KOTOR movie, I want a Force Unleashed movie, yada, yada, yada. But, uh, you know, that they know that the interest is there and that they've talked to, you know, people, creative people who do that kind of stuff who are um, interested in telling er- telling stories in other areas of the Star Wars timeline. So, obviously, it seems like it'll be maybe a little ways away for now, but... Um, I mean, we do know that they've got spinoff movies planned. We don't know what those are going to be about. And, you know, they could certainly do more TV projects than just Rebels in the future. So I'm definitely excited to see what different possibilities they can come up with. Exactly. I mean, the universe is so big. You, you shouldn't have to limit yourself to one uh, era of the Star Wars timeline. Like I said, it would just be a waste. So definitely it made me happy to hear that from someone who's pretty high up in that in Lucasfilm as far as uh, being involved with all the different creative Star Wars projects. Yeah, so that's all the Episode 7 stuff for the episode. Um, Now, of course, let's get to what we've been waiting to talk about for, like you said, over a year now. We finally (laughs) cover the premiere of Star Wars Rebels. Um, And Tim, we kind of got your your review from it uh, when you saw it back at... uh, at San Diego Comic-Con, but of course now we can talk a lot about it a little bit more in depth. For anyone who hasn't seen it yet, we probably will talk about some specifics and some spoilers, so beware of that. But um, yeah, I mean, it was a really fun and great premiere for the series. Um, you know, we've got the 45-minute TV special, Spark of Rebellion, um, where you start off with, uh, you know, the kid Ezra on Lothal and he goes to try to steal from the Empire and ends up running into Kanan and Hera and Sabine and Zeb and Chopper and, um, you know, they steal some stuff from the Empire. They go and, uh, you know, sell some weapons to this crime lord named Thizago and um, he gives them information on some captive, captive Wookiees. Uh, that Hera has been looking for and wants to try to save. And so then they go off to save the Wookiees and they get caught in an Imperial trap in space and Ezra gets kidnapped and, uh, you know, held prisoner aboard a Star Destroyer. Um, and the ghost crew goes back to rescue him, but Ezra is also able to like sneak out of his cell and, uh, you know, get out on his own and, you know, sneak past his stormtrooper guards and all that. So they all, you know, meet up back at the ghost and, uh, you know, of course you got agent Callus and the stormtroopers after him and everything. Um, and they go to the spice mines of Kessel where these Wookiees are being dropped off and, uh, you know, they free the Wookiees. They're in a big firefight with the stormtroopers once Callus and his guys get there. And then Kanan sort of has his big heroic moment when, you know, they're sort of pinned down in this firefight and, uh, Kanan being the sort of Jedi in hiding the, the guy who survived order 66, who is trying to been, he's been trying to lay low and avoid the empire and not let people know he's a Jedi. He finally pulls out his lightsaber and, uh, you know, he's like the secrets out of the bag now. And he's of course, you know, fighting all the stormtroopers with his lightsaber and everything. Um, and you know, Ezra and Zeb and everybody else, they managed to save the Wookiees and they all get away. And, uh, in the process, Ezra knocks a stormtrooper off the bridge with his little uh, energy slingshot thing, and we hear the Wilhelm scream, and all the Wookiees are reunited, and the heroes save the day, and Ezra decides to join the crew, and, has, and uh, Kanan's going to train him in the ways of the Force, because, you know, they find out along the way that Ezra is Force-sensitive and is able to open this holocron that's got a message from Obi-Wan Kenobi, and, uh, you know, talking about how the Jedi have been wiped out and the Empire is in control and everything, but one day a new hope will rise. So, um, yeah, that was sort of my, I don't even know how long that was, you know, (laughs) Star Wars Rebels in three minutes, like the fastest three minutes on Monday Night Football. 
um, <laughs> sort of a little recap there of the story. But yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I especially liked the moment when they try to sneak onto the Imperial ship and uh, they they act like they've got one more Wookiee prisoner to transfer and uh, they've got Zeb in handcuffs and Kanan's like, what, you've never seen a rare hairless Wookiee before? And Zeb gives a little, <laughs> and they try to trick the stormtroopers. Um, yeah, I knew with seeing that at Comic-Con, I got a big laugh at the, in the theater. I knew that was pretty much any Star Wars fan was going to get a kick out of that scene because that was great. Because <laughs> just the fact that Zeb is based off the old uh, design for Chewie for episode four and him to be impersonated a Wookiee and doing a very lame Wookiee growl was <laughs> really funny. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and you know what's funny? I I wouldn't even say it was a lame Wookiee growl because he kind of got the sound down right, but you could just tell by his facial expression, like his heart was not in it. Yeah. Like he's impersonating a Wookiee with his voice, but his face just tells you, oh, come on, I'm not a Wookiee. Yeah, exactly. And since we're on the subject of Wookiees, I figured a point I'd like to bring out real quick was just from a story aspect, I just like how important the Wookiees were to both Zeb and Hera in this episode where they're like, okay, we really got to save it. Because how we, Zeb made the comment of saying how, like, I owe those Wookiees, like, they, like, help most of my people. And then Hera said, yeah, they help my people too. So just the fact that the Wookiees are so well respected and from their fight during the separatists during the Clone Wars, and I'm sure they help uh, with some people when the Empire rose and they were, like, taking slaves and all that. So I'm sure they helped liberate some people there. So I just like that. A story back story background for the Wookiees that was developed in those quick few comments, but and you know it might as well just get out of the way for me. The one big negative about Star Wars Rebels these episodes was the look of the Wookiees. <laughs> That's yeah. just the one big thing that sticks out to you when you're watching it. They just do not look that great. That's the only point when I was watching. I was going, man, I just wish they had the Clone Wars budget that they did to animate <laughs> like they did for those Clone Wars episodes, but. Other than that, though, yeah, that was just the one thing that I just can't help but shake while you're watching it. I know a lot of reaction I've seen from fans, they just keep saying, man, this is great, but those Wookiees, they don't look that great. (laughs) Yeah, you know, that was a good point you made, though, about the, you know, just sort of uh, Zeb and Hera mentioning, like, that the Wookiees help their people out and stuff. Because I'm not sure if Zeb specifically mentioned the Clone Wars or said, like, they help my people. No, he didn't, yeah, but that was kind of something I'm just kind of... I guess if you want to do fan speculation or fan thinking that it was some point during the Clone Wars or maybe right after the rise of the Empire, maybe. Okay. Well, no, I mean, the only reason I brought that up, though, is because I thought the same thing. Um, And I, you know, now that you mentioned that, I was like, wait, I don't remember if that was just sort of my assumption or if he actually said, you know, help my people back in the war or something like that. Um, But, yeah, I mean, for some reason, that sort of made a lot of stuff connect for me as far as the Clone Wars goes because there were times in the Clone Wars when people would, um, you know, they talk about like, oh, all these lives being at stake or, you know, call the Jedi killers or accuse them of, you know, being warmongers and stuff and, uh, you know, killing people in battle and all this kind of stuff. And it never really rang true for me because I'm like, all they're doing is killing battle droids. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, how is that bad necessarily? I mean, sure, you could say, oh, they're destroying the Trade Federation's property, but they're just trying to defend you from these machines Um, and not to say that the clones aren't human, like you have to, you know, obviously try to protect their lives and stuff, but at the same time, I mean, having these, these clone soldiers who are bred to fight in a war, like that sort of saves you from putting civilians in jeopardy by trying to, you know, recruit people to join an army or something like that. And we never, I mean, we saw some like local militias trying to defend their home, but for the most part, it was just clones fighting droids in the Clone Wars and there weren't a whole lot of other people involved. And so, 
when I mean just this this simple line where Zeb says, you know, oh I owe those fur balls, like they saved some of my people and again, I don't remember if he said back in the war or if I just assumed that. And then Hera says like, yeah, mine too. And I was like, oh, okay. So it wasn't just clones fighting the whole time. Like there were other people involved in this conflict. And, you know, so, so suddenly some of that stuff in the Clone Wars that, you know, just a couple of those lines that felt a little flat to me suddenly had a little bit more meaning. Um, and again, you know, it wasn't like some huge thing where I was like, oh man, this just changed my whole perspective on the Clone Wars. But it was just this nice little thing that sort of tied the whole Star Wars universe together a little bit more just by that one reference. It was just, you know, one little extra connecting thread that I, I enjoyed seeing in there. So yeah, that was good. And then, like you said, the, the look of the Wookiees, unfortunately, they didn't look anywhere near as good as they did in the Clone Wars. But, um, I mean, for the most part, I really enjoyed the, I thought the animation was good. I thought all the characters looked good, you know, Wookiees aside. Um, and even if they looked a little weird, I did like seeing the little kid Wookiee too. Um, you know, I love yeah. seeing Boonji in Clone Wars and now this one Kitwar in, uh, in Star Wars Rebels. And I get the feeling we might see these guys again because, um, you know, at the end when they leave, they, they say something like, uh, you know, we're indebted to you. And, uh, if you ever need any help, the Wookiees will be there for you. So, I mean, I don't think suddenly they're going to become main characters on the show and we're going to have a band of Wookiees hanging around the ship, but I, I would expect to see them pop up again in a future episode, maybe. Yeah, definitely. Probably will be the case. I would imagine. Hopefully they had maybe had more time with the animation to maybe have them look a little better. But <laughs> I wanted to ask you, Kyle, since this is your first time seeing it. And did you have the same feeling that I did with all the main characters as far as you pretty much liked every character? Sure, there's going to be like some that you like more than others. But I just felt every character was represented really good in this movie. And pretty much all of them had their one moment to shine a little bit. And you didn't have that feeling, well, this character was good, but I really didn't like this one too much. All of them stood out to me as good characters. Did you have that same feeling? Yeah, yeah, they were all good. They were all interesting. I thought all of the voice, the the vocal performances were really solid. Yeah. Um, and I even, you know, there there were some kind of surprises, especially Hera for me. Um, I think is I don't know if I'd say she's my favorite character, but she's the one that surprised me the most. Um, because I mean, not that I thought I wasn't going to like her character. I mean, I thought they all seemed pretty good or pretty interesting, but um, I think Hera is probably the one that exceeded my expectations the most. Um, but yeah, I mean, I loved Zeb and his you know, his humorous moments and his just love of beating up stormtroopers and his, uh, you know, his sort of conflicted emotional moments too. I mean, when Ezra gets captured on the, on the Star Destroyer, um, you know, Zeb is the last one on the ghost who has to sort of make the decision to leave Ezra behind. And you can kind of tell, I mean, up to that point, Zeb has been like, you know, he didn't want this kid around on the ship and he's always, you know, making jokes and threatening him and being like, why can't we just dump him off and we don't need him on here and let's get rid of the kid. Um, and now suddenly, you know, when he sees him getting captured by these stormtroopers, you can tell he's kind of conflicted because on the one hand, he's like, well, good riddance, we didn't need him along anyways. And on the other hand, he's like, I mean, he's just a kid, I can't leave him. But then he does leave him and you can tell he feels bad about it. So, um, I like seeing that sort of emotional complexity there. Um, I'd say Sabine is kind of the one character that we didn't really get to see as much of. Um, in the premiere, but I'm sure in future episodes, they'll probably, you know, certain episodes will focus more on different characters. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of amazing that we got to know each of these characters as much as we did just in these 45 minutes. Um, and of course, you know, we've got the, the shorts and the introductory videos and stuff like that that we've seen already. But um, I mean, 
still, I, I guess I kind of wish this episode was longer because even though I liked all the all the characters, I still wanted to know a little bit more about each one of them. But I realized like I, this is the first time in a long time that we've gotten any sort of Star Wars content with this many new characters all at once where they're all the main yeah. characters. I mean, even when Clone Wars started, like they had to introduce Ahsoka um, and Captain Rex and some of the other characters. And of course, along the way, we got introduced to more new characters, you know, Pre Vizsla and Savage Press and Mother Talzin and all those other kind of guys. But I mean, when the series first started, it focuses on Anakin and Obi-Wan and Yoda and Mace Windu and characters that we know and have seen before. Um, and even though, you know, we have to sort of be brought up to speed on, uh, you know, where they're at. And this is a, a slightly different time period with Clone Wars. I mean, obviously it's not the exact same Anakin Skywalker that we picked up with right at the end of episode two. Um, you know, they, they've changed a little bit. We kind of have to establish like who these characters are in this specific story, but you know, viewers are already going to be familiar with Anakin and Obi-Wan and Yoda and Padme and Dooku and everybody. But in this case with Rebels, it's like, we don't know Kanan or Hera or Sabine or Ezra or Chopper or Zeb or any of these guys. And so, I mean, for them to be able to, to tell the story and uh, just sort of bring everything, bring all the characters into it this quickly. And, uh, you know, they didn't really spend a lot of time being like, okay, this is Sabine. She's a Mandalorian. She does this, that, and the other thing. This is her backstory. These are her people. It's just sort of like, here's a Mandalorian. She's on our crew. She blows stuff up. Let's go, you know? And, and it just sort of, you know, just pulls you along for the ride and doesn't really stop to explain stuff, but you sort of get just enough to to be satisfied. And at the same time, it kind of leaves you wanting more and to know more about these characters. I guess maybe the only thing I was slightly disappointed by character-wise, and this is just sort of my own fault, um, it was after reading a new, you know, the, the novel A New Dawn, which is like a prequel to this series. Um, and, of course, from reading a novel, you can get so much depth of the characters because, um, you know, you, you'll read paragraphs or whole pages where it just tells you what the character's thinking and you don't get that sort of insight from watching a show you you can only see uh you know their facial uh their facial expressions or hear what they're actually saying you don't actually get to like read their thoughts or anything like that um but you know so just from reading that novel like we got to know Kanan so well I felt like and Hera pretty well too um that when we got to the the show um I almost was maybe used to the way they were portrayed in a new dawn. And so I was like, wait, so, you know, I, I want to know a little bit more about Kane and I'm used to getting in his head and knowing what it feels like to be this sort of rogue Jedi. And, uh, you know, the burden that he carries of trying to be the hero, but at the same time, not trying to give away the fact that he's a Jedi and, you know, like he wants to help, but he also just wants to lay low and go about his business and all this kind of stuff. And, I mean, you know, you don't get all that little subtle characterization in the show, but, um, I mean, I'm hoping we get more of that as the show goes along, but, you know, just in those 45 minutes, they couldn't necessarily convey everything I was uh, hoping to see just from having read the novel. But, you know, that's just sort of my own fault for getting my expectations up. But I'm just glad that we got to know that much about him from the book. And now, you know, I can sort of have that inform his character as I see him um, on the series. So, um, you yeah, know, it was, it was... Oh, what? I was going to say, it was cool, though, when they're making a point of Ezra's kind of like being young and brash and... Uh, Hera just made a comment again, like saying, "Like, oh, that sounds like someone I used to know." And as immediately when she says that, you think back to a new dawn, where when they first met, and some of the things they got themselves into, how Kanan would react to certain situations. Because that's just cool that we had that nice little lead-in to this episode and their characters. So when they say little things like that, you can harken back to when they first met at a new dawn. So I just thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. 
Um, and even, you know, of course he has his moment at the end with the, where he first ignites the lightsaber. And again, it was something where after reading the book, I kind of expected it to be a little bit more of a build up to that point. Like, um, you know, in, in the book, he, he almost uses a lightsaber on the big bad guy, Count Vidian, and he's trying to like save Hera. And then he's like, no, the time's not right. I'm not going to do that right now and ends up not using it. And so, I was like, oh, okay, well, when he finally does do it and finally reveals himself as a Jedi, like, it's going to be this huge thing, and he's going to have this big internal struggle, and somebody's going to be about to die, and he's going to be like, no, and pull out the lightsaber and go charging in. But, um, you know, in this case, it was just like they're pinned down in a firefight with some stormtroopers, and he's like, well, kid, I'm about to let everyone in on the secret, and he pulls out the lightsaber and goes in, and I'm like, oh, well, there it is. Um, Didn't feel like quite as big of a moment as I was expecting, but it was still really cool to see. Um, and you know, even if it didn't quite live up to my expectations from the book, I'm still glad I read the book because that moment still probably meant more to me than it did to some people who didn't have that backstory there. So, I mean, you know, just knowing what he's going through and knowing that this is the first time in years that he's even turned this thing on. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty cool to see. And it definitely like, I'm, I'm glad we got that book and I hope we get some more rebels books down the line that give you even more insight into these characters. Yeah, that scene with Kanan igniting his lightsaber, that's probably one of my favorite scenes in the whole premiere episodes. Just the fact where how once he pulls the lightsaber out, he starts walking to Agent Callus and the Stormtrooper. I just love the shot of him where it shows him walking up there, kind of a little bit of slow motion. He's dodging the bullets using the or the blaster fire from the force, just like like casually turning his head around, blocking the bullets, and then he ignites or blasts it. I keep saying bullets, but he ignites, puts the piece on the lightsaber, ignites it, and makes his reveal. It is really cool. And but going back to that, I remember how when we were reviewing a new dawn, I said there's a moment in Star Wars Rebels that I'll wait to bring up till I actually see it in regards to him not igniting it in the book because that was something you and me both were talking about. We didn't get into it there because we wanted to wait till the episode's premiere and people had a chance to see it, but. Thing of disappointing thing when a new dawn was that he didn't ignite his lightsaber and that, and it kind of got us thinking, okay, it's going to be a big moment, like you said, in Star Wars Rebels. And kind of what had me going a little bit about that because there's a line right before he does it where he says, um, We're going to do like a 22 pickup. And maybe I just missed it when I first saw it back at Comic Con. And then by the time I read a new dawn and he didn't ignite his lightsaber, it made me think, okay, they're just saving that for the big moment in Rebels. But then I thought, oh, but he did say that line where it made me think maybe it was not the first time he ignited it. And it was something that he has done before than what we saw in this episode of Rebels. But then he says the line to kid, I'm about to let everyone in on the secret, which is a great line. But And then he ignites it. So it made me think that uh, that probably was the first time he ignited it. But then it's like the only person they showed who was shocked by that was Ezra and Agent Callus and the stormtroopers kind of turning the, you didn't see Zeb or Sabine's reaction, like going, what? He has a lightsaber or he's a Jedi. Cause you kind of got that impression that they maybe saw that before and maybe it wasn't the first time. So I'm still kind of torn on that. I think maybe it was a possibility that, Maybe he did ignite it before for some other reason. Maybe not against the Empire. This is the first time the Empire has seen it or seen him do that. But maybe some other circumstance or instance happened where he ignited the lightsaber and everyone else on the crew of the Ghost knew about it. But I don't know. I still get the feeling that that wasn't the first time he revealed it to every one of his crew. Just because just Ezra was the only one who sounded shocked about it. So I was waiting to see it again and to make my decision on a new dawn as far as if I was truly disappointed with it 
so that him not using the lightsaber in a new dawn to set up the big epic moment in rebels but i'm still kind of torn if that really is the first moment of that or not so i don't know it's, it's still a great scene i love it and i guess you could say since the empire is first finding out about it it still is a pretty big deal because you know he has to go to the inquisitor at the end and tell him uh, you have someone who could be a jedi so i guess from that sense it's still pretty big but i think for him since he's kept it a secret so long, it would have been even better if the first time that everybody saw it, like he let everyone knew except Hera that he was a Jedi and had a lightsaber would have been made it even bigger on rebels. But since they didn't show Zeb or Sabine's reaction, you still don't know for sure if that was their first time or not. So that was the thing that kept questioning me on it as far as the new Dawn and rebels. And now that I know I'm still kind of unsure if that really is the very first time he ignited his lightsaber in front of everyone. Yeah. Well, you know, I also have to say like, even if this was the first time he'd actually used it you know, in a fight or something, I mean, he could have shown it to Zeb or uh, Sabine on the, you know, on the ship or when they recruited them to join the crew, he could have been like, Hey, just so you know, like, don't tell anybody, but I'm a Jedi. So if you see me do any weird force power stuff, like, you know, that's what that is. I have a lightsaber. I never use it. I might use it at some point in a dire situation, but you know, um, so yeah, I, I think at least I got the impression that yeah, it was the first time he had actually used it sort of out in the open. Um, and uh, also, I mean, when he said a twenty-two pickup, I wasn't sure if that necessarily related to the lightsaber or if that was just the, the thing of, you know, where they stashed all the Wookiees in the cargo crate and yeah. attached it to the bottom of the ghost. And he just used the lightsaber to buy them time to, to pull off that part of the plan. Yeah, then, I remember at Comic-Con where that line where I was like, I was just probably too engrossed in the movie to pick up on that line. That's that afterward I was reading a new Don. Oh, what was that line? What was that? I think that was referred to him using the lightsaber. But then watching it again, I was like, oh no, the twenty-two pickup just revolves around how Hera is gonna uh, get them out of there with the ghost and put him into those cargo ships. So it was totally different from that. Yeah. That's well, except I think also when he says he's gonna do that, I think Hera says something like, "Wait, are you sure?" So like maybe she knew he was gonna reveal the lightsaber for the first time but even if that was the case it could just be a code word that they had come up with for it in you know as, as like a backup plan in case they ever needed to use it but um it's not like they did it first and then we're like okay we're gonna have a, a name for that in case we have to do it again but you know it could have just been them planning like okay if, if we ever have to use the lightsaber i'm gonna call it this but i haven't had to use it yet you know so it could have been something like that too um, but I definitely got the feeling they had done that pickup before, though, because when, you know, once they had gotten all the Wookiees in the crate um, and the ghost was attaching to it, Zeb was like, oh, I hate this part as they're yeah. about to, you know, get picked up. So I think they had done that before, but not necessarily with the lightsaber. Yeah, that's still going to be, I think, an open debate as far as if that was the first time <laughs> that he's revealed in front of everyone. But I think more so I got try to make the impression that that was the first time he ignited it out in the open. So. Yeah, I mean, especially because they go out of their way in yeah. New Dawn that, you know, he almost uses it and then he doesn't. It's like, well, you know, like, if they're making that big of a deal out of it, then it's going to be a big moment when he does reveal it for the first time. And I don't think they would do that off screen. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I think we're meant to assume that that moment in the premiere is the first time he does. Yeah, probably. I'll just have to accept it like that, <laughs> even though it might linger in my head as a question, was it or was it not? <laughs> but we'll find out. But you know how I was saying that uh, you didn't really see Sabine's or Zeb's reaction to it. It just makes me think now, I hope they eventually like kind of reveal the story of how the rest of the crew came together for the ghost. Because we got 
Kanan and Hera with a new dawn. So I'm hoping whether it's in another book or just in some episodes where we get it revealed to us of how Sabine and Zeb and Chopper all came about and got uh, connected with Kanan and Hera later on. Because that's a story I want to see told too. Hopefully, it Oh, will. yeah, for sure. But I, I think that'll be something that we just get revealed over time um, just sort of as backstory on the show. Another thing I liked about too, it was pretty small, but I liked how they're all using code names when they're like infiltrating the Star Destroyer just out uh, trying to get things from the Empire while they're using the code name Spectre, like Kanan Spectre 1, then you got other characters like Spectre 2, 3, 4, and 5. They're not using their real names for the Empire to kind of pinpoint them and know who they are. So I thought that was a pretty nice touch. That's, I think it's something they're probably going to be used for whenever they're dealing with an operation involving the Empire. They're not going to have their like real names exposed when they're communicating with each other, which I thought was a nice touch. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you know, I, it kind of got me intrigued at first because we only, in the premiere, we only hear them use Spectre one, four and five and Kanan is Spectre one. And I think maybe Zeb is four and Sabine is five or the other way around. Um, and anytime they're talking to Hera, he, you know, Kanan's always just like Spectre one to ghost. And so I thought, okay, well maybe, you know, Hera's just ghost because she's, you know, always on the ship or whatever. Um, which made me think like who's Spectre two and three and are those, because a new dawn takes place like five years before the series starts and, uh, it's just Kanan and Hera in that book. But I'm thinking in the time between the series, did they have, more crew members join who then got like captured or killed by the empire. And is that going to somehow factor into the backstory of the show? And we're going to find that out later. Like that could have been pretty cool. But then um, I do have to say they already have the next episode available on the watch Disney XD website and app and everything. And so I watched that one. And in the next episode, you find out that Hera is specter two and chopper is specter three. So um, yeah, no need for, for rampant speculation on that part. And Ezra becomes Spectre 6. So we're not missing anybody. They're not just about to do some wild speculation, but <laughs> thanks a lot, Kyle. <laughs> yeah, it would have been cool if, like, yeah. I mean, what if Han Solo had been Spectre 2 well, and then, yeah. you know, left the crew? Um, but still, the idea of having past members is a good idea that might make for interesting stories of, like, why they left or what happened to maybe past members. So that has got me thinking, though, already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it was an interesting thought at first. Yeah. And then when I saw that next episode, it was like, oh, that's, yeah, never mind. But the next episode is really good. I mean, we can wait to talk about that later because I'm sure a lot of people haven't seen it yet. But um, I'd say I probably liked the first, you know, official first episode more than uh, even more than I liked the premiere here. So it um, seems like the show is off to a good start. Yeah, one of, one of the things I said when I talked about uh, coming away from the premiere was that one thing that really stuck out to me in th- these episodes was the sound effects and the music. And I wanted to get your take on it, having those classic sound effects that we know from the original trilogy and finally hearing some familiar music in the score for Rebels. And uh, I got something to say about that, too. I, my opinion changed just a little slightly on something with the music, but I want to hear your thoughts first on what you thought the score and the sound effects for these two episodes. Yeah. Well, the thing you changed your mind on, I wonder if that's one of the the things I thought, but I mean, for the most part, I loved it. The sound effects obviously were great. I mean, you know, they, they nailed it with the classic sounds of tie fighters and speeder bikes and laser blasts and all that kind of stuff. Um, And, and (laughs) with the music, I mean, yeah, just hearing some of that classic Star Wars music again was great. But, I mean, I did like on Clone Wars that they sort of kept us kept us in suspense, maybe kept you wanting it. 
Um, because I, I sort of like that Clone Wars had its own score and its own sound, you know, soundtrack and everything. And then those classic themes would just pop up in moments where it was really appropriate. Like the first time I, I still vividly remember watching Brain Invaders for the first time in season two, where you see Anakin start force choking mm-hmm. Poggle the Lesser. And it was the first time we ever heard, you know, hints of the Imperial March. Um, and that just wouldn't have the same kind of impact if you heard it in every episode. So, um, you know, those moments of foreshadowing or, um, you know, just the, the moments where you get brief hints of it where, where it really serves the story. I thought that was really cool. I wasn't necessarily one of those people that's like, man, Clone Wars should just have more classic Star Wars music all the time because as much of it, as much as it would have been cool to get more of it, I just thought it was really cool to hear in the moments where we did get it. Um, but in Rebels, obviously it's a different time period. It's closer to the original trilogy. So I think it's more appropriate to have more original trilogy music. And obviously you don't need to use subtle hints of the Imperial March to foreshadow the coming of the Empire because the Empire is already here. So you could just play the, uh, the Imperial March all day and, and I wouldn't complain. Um, and so for the most part, yeah, I thought it was great to hear those themes and stuff, but I mean, the, the, I guess the one gripe I had about it was at the end when they've rescued all the Wookiees and they're back safely on the ghost, they're playing Princess Leia's theme. Yep, there it is. <laughs> which, I mean, the, the sound of the music and the tone and everything fits nicely because it's, you know, it's the end of the episode and it's sort of the, the reunion, like Ezra reunites uh, the young Wookiee Kitwar with his father, Wolf Waro, and, uh, you know, it's just sort of the, the happy reunion moment and everybody's safe and everybody knows Kanan's a Jedi and we got away from the Empire and we saved the Wookiees and yay, happy ending. Um, and so the music kind of fits for that. But at the same time, for, you know, for us hardcore Star Wars fans who have seen these movies a lot of time and recognize a lot of those classic themes, like... You don't just go, oh, yeah, that's some nice music I've heard before. Like, you go, that's Princess Leia's theme, and Leia's nowhere to be found here, so that kind of doesn't fit. It's kind of like with me, and I know we kind of disagreed on this, but, like, at the end of the uh, – or in the the last Yoda arc – or the last episode of the Yoda arc in Clone Wars Season 6 when it closes out and they play the same music over the credits that they used – from uh, the end of um, The Wrong Jedi, you know, Ahsoka's final episode where she walks away from the Jedi Temple and it's that sort of, like, the same sort of sad, somber music. Um, And I'm like, I don't want to hear that at the end of this Yoda episode because that music makes me think of a very specific thing and a very specific, you know, tone and story and everything, and I don't think it necessarily fits here. Um, even if the music itself might fit, it's like the the imagery that you connect it with doesn't fit. So I felt like it was kind of the same thing here. Like just the music itself fits with this scene, but for those of us who are associating it with Princess Leia, it doesn't really fit. But um, and and so that was the one thing that made me think like, okay, I hope they don't overuse too much of the original trilogy music in this show because i mean if they have more moments like that where it's like oh let's just throw some original trilogy music in here well that's yoda's theme and yoda's not here so don't do that like i I hope they you know don't do too much of that in the future but for the most part i'm not too worried about it because um you know for for most of the scenes you know when they're boarding the star destroyer and fighting stormtroopers and all that kind of stuff i thought it was great and there's some more stuff coming up in the second episode that i thought was really cool too and some more uh classic trilogy music that I thought was used, you know, really well and really effectively. So, um, yeah, for the most part, I was really happy with it. Cool. Yeah. But you hit it the nail on the head right there at the ending with Princess Leia. So, yeah, that's when I saw it again this time where it stuck out to me where, yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, I was one of those people who 
was saying that I wish the Clone Wars used a lot more familiar music themes from the from the movies. And for the most part, I loved how Star Wars Rebels did that. I mean, pretty much everything else besides that scene works so good to me. Hearing the Force theme, hearing the classic like X-wing and Tie Fighters theme when they're battling the Tie Fighters and the Ghosts, I just loved hearing that. It just takes you right back into Star Wars, but. At the end, when you're using specific character themes and they're not there, that takes me out of out of it a little bit. It's like, okay, why are you using that when that character's not even there? I mean, you hit all the points right there when you were talking about it. So when I saw it again, that's what stuck out stood out to me saying that where the one time where hearing some familiar Star Wars theme didn't quite work because it's tied to a specific character. So I mean they can use as much familiar Star Wars themes as they want, in my opinion, for Star Wars Rebels. But when it comes to specific character themes, just kind of stay away from that unless the character is there. So that was the one thing that kind of took me out of it once I saw it again this time. So, But I agree with you. I think they'll, for the most part, do a great job with it because it just takes you right in. And it feels like Star Wars when you hear those great themes used again. So for the most part, like you said, it, totally music sound effects everything were so good in this i mean i can't tell you how cool it was in the beginning when i first saw it hearing the star destroyer sound the tie fighters swooshing by the uh, buildings of lothal and the speeder bike chase and it was just those sound effects just speeder bike sound effects just sound so cool <laughs> they're probably the coolest ones in my opinion in star wars as far as vehicles go i'd probably take it over it's between that and a tie fighter those are some of the coolest vehicle sounds to me and they were just used so well in that opening sequence i mean visually it looked cool but i think uh, the things that got me most excited about were just hearing those speeder bike engines roar <laughs> and when they would either start their engines and like you see those two stormtroopers after Zeb, Kane, and Ezra zip by, they just look at each other, they start theirs and they zip on by. All that stuff sounded really cool. So, yeah, you, I would almost give the sound and music almost a perfect score <laughs> if I was reviewing this, but why have to knock a half a point just for that Princess Leia theme being used at the end there? Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, like you said, obviously, um, great sound design and sound effects and everything. Great music for the most part. Um, the visuals were good. The the action and the story and just the overall sort of Star Wars tone and feel of it I thought was great. I mean, they've talked a lot about how they're trying to capture the tone and feel of the original trilogy and especially in New Hope where it's just sort of the the lighthearted action adventure and the hero's journey and sort of the discovery. I mean, obviously we've got the, the young kid Ezra discovering the force and the Jedi and everything for the first time. So, I mean, I think it really captured that star Wars feel really well. And, uh, you know, it was just really enjoyable. I mean, you know, for, for something like clone wars, even in the first episode, you could say like, well, these things were good, but the animation was kind of stiff or especially in the clone wars movie, like, to me, I mean, there were parts in the story that I really liked and not to try to criticize it too much, but you know, just the fact that they took the first four episodes and edited them together to make a, a theatrical release movie. Like you could kind of tell the story didn't quite flow right for, you know, an hour and a half movie. Like it was meant to be individual episodes, but, um, you know, with this one, I mean, I wouldn't say it was like perfect or, you know, the best premiere of all time or anything, but I don't really have a whole lot of gripes with it. It was just, you know, it was, I think they achieved what they were trying to do, and it was uh, it was enjoyable. It was good. Yeah, and it's only going to get better from here on out. <laughs> That's the best part of it. Yeah, your episodes yeah, are so definitely. good and got you invested in the characters, and then you just know, just from experience with Clone Wars, you saw that, how much that got better with every season, and you just know it's going to be the same with Rebels. But uh, did you have any specific like favorite scene that stood out to you the most out of these two uh, premiere episodes? Oh man, um, well, I mean, obviously the the one we already mentioned the. You know, Zeb, the rare hairless Wookiee, um, <laughs> that was a good scene. Um, and the the scene with Obi-Wan, um, you know, the, 
the holocron of Obi-Wan playing the recorded message. Um, that was great to, to get that call back. And of course, to actually see like everything of what he said in that message in uh, episode three, because we never actually hear him say yeah. all that. Um, so that was cool. Um, and that it wasn't just, you know, it, it's a nice touch that it wasn't just like a, a drab and, you know, doom and gloom, like the, the empire is taken over, the Jedi are dead, like stay away from Coruscant, all that kind of stuff. It wasn't like just a, a sort of direct warning. It was, you know, he, he had in classic Obi-Wan Kenobi fashion, he had to sort of include that little message of hope in there. Um, you know, where he's like, yeah, the, the Jedi have fallen, the empire has risen to take the place of the Republic and, you know, stay away from Coruscant, but trust in yourself, trust in the force. And in time, a new hope will rise. And it was just, you know, a nice inspirational message from one of our favorite Star Wars characters. So that was cool to see. And then of course the moment where Kanan pulls out the lightsaber, um, was really good also, but even the moment on the ship when Ezra finds Kanan's lightsaber for the first time and turns it on, I mean, that was cool. Just, because that was the first time that we saw a lightsaber in the episode. Um, and I thought the look of it was really good, particularly in that scene. Um, I mean, even when Kanan turns it on and is fighting the stormtroopers and everything, it looked cool. But for some reason, it almost felt like in that scene where Ezra turns it on for the very first time that, that you know, they they paid just a little bit more attention and care and love and affection to that scene in, in terms of the visual effects and stuff. Because I mean, it, it they nailed the look of like Luke turning on the lightsaber for the first time in a new hope and just the way it flickered and moved and everything that was really cool to see too. So, um, I mean, I guess those are some of my favorite moments. Um, and I don't know if you already talked about yours when you met, you know, when you talked about it the first time, but did you have a a specific standout scene or anything? Um, you kind of hit on a few of them. I I really loved how the episode ended. Well, not quite the last scene, but the scene before last where you had Obi-Wan's, you're hearing Obi-Wan's message, but you're not just seeing it through the holocron. You're seeing, like, he's narrating over a montage of all the main characters as he's uh, saying the things like, there will be a new hope. I just thought it fit so perfectly to end that episode. And then when he's done, you see uh, the holocron crows, and then Ezra makes his way back to the ghost, and Kanan just kind of puts his hand on his shoulder, like, okay, you accepted my offer now. We're going to start beginning your training. I just loved how it wrapped up everything that... Uh, they've been through in this first two episodes and how it concluded with a lot of great way to wrap it up. Even though we get the extra scene at the end with Callus and uh, the Inquisitor. <laughs> I thought if it ended with that moment with Kanan and uh, Ezra after we what we heard from Obi-Wan, I thought that would have been a great ending for it too. But then just smaller things. I really liked the first interactions all the characters had once Ezra got on the ghost and they escaped from the TIE Fighters. That whole sequence I really loved. As soon as he jumps on there, He's already having to <laughs> fight with Zeb, and then they get on the TIE fighters, start attacking, and they have to take him out. And then Ezra tries to make his uh, way. He's, like, trying to get through the, the vents and the ghosts, and then he falls into a gun turret. And then Sabine goes to... Or that was actually before that, a great moment where he's, like, so shocking in awe of space. You know, that was the first time he's actually been off Lothal. He's just really amazed, like, wow, I'm in space. And then the TIE fighters kind of like, and I'm going to die. <laughs> yeah. Then Sabine comes and takes over the gun turret. He's all like my name's Ezra, what's yours? And then Zeb just grabs him like, my name is Zeb. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, That whole sequence was just great. It's a great way to kind of bring out all the character interactions that you're going to expect to see on this series. So those are probably my two favorite moments out of the first two premiere episodes, but there was a lot of great stuff in this one. Yeah, I will say, I mean, just one other thing I want to mention in terms of the character interactions and development and stuff. One thing that they're sort of still leaving me hanging on, I wouldn't even call this a criticism necessarily, but just something that I want to know for sure in the future is just sort of what the status of the relationship between Kanan and Hera is. 
Um, because, I mean, in The New Dawn, you can tell, like, the first time they meet, Kanan is obviously, like, stricken by this beautiful female Twi'lek, and he's, you know, the whole rest of the book, he's, like, flirting with her and trying to get to know her and everything, and she's, you know, seems like she's not really interested, but at the same time, you know, is sort of intrigued by him and wants his help with her mission and all that kind of stuff, so... Um, you know, by the end of it, they end up working together, but they still never, you know, end up together romantically or anything like that. Um, and then in the show, I mean, she, a couple of times when she's talking to him, she calls him love. But aside from that, we never really see any sort of, you know, romantic interaction between the two of them. Um, and so I'm like, well, yeah, what, what's going on there? I get the feeling like we'll probably find out eventually but you would think that would be something they want to establish pretty early on if like two of the main characters are in a relationship but i don't know i guess we'll have to wait and figure out what's going on there yeah we'll see how much they dive into it i mean i know for a show that's kind of aimed towards kids i'm not sure if that's something they're really going to want to <laughs> explore on too much as far as establishing but yeah, they kind of left it up in the air like you really don't know but yeah we'll have to see but yeah. um one thing, too, before uh, I guess we finish our discussion on it, I mean, I would say for the most part, reaction for it has been pretty positive on what I'm seeing online. I mean, of course, you're gonna, I've seen some people saying it's not what they expected and, oh, well, if this is what we can expect from Disney, I'm out then. But for the most part, it's been pretty positive. A lot of the reactions I've been seeing from people are kind of what I've felt after I walked out of the screening from the Comic-Con uh, pre-screening that they had and they were talking to a few people there and then just hearing the reactions that people had so it's pretty getting well received i mean i took it out to twitter and facebook to get some reactions from our followers and listeners and we've got a few and it's pretty positive kind of <laughs> what our reactions are we got one on facebook from paul gand who says it felt like a missing puzzle piece in the saga it's awesome and then brian v klein says that loved it i felt connected to the characters within the first 10 minutes and can't wait for what comes next and then on Twitter, we got a comment from Michael C. Gill who just says, impressive, most impressive. So I'm <laughs> uh, just glad that the reaction for it is pretty positive. And then uh, just a great way to kick off this new era of Star Wars and this that most fans are seem to be liking it or just excited for the future and what's to come next with the series. So it's just great all the way around. Yeah, it's definitely good to see that. I mean, like you said, there's still some critics out there, you know, some people who, uh, who don't like it and, you know, you can't please everybody. I mean, yeah. obviously some of it, some of the reaction is going to be from people who are just stubborn and think like, Oh, clone, you know, Star Wars should be dark and I want more Clone Wars where, you know, people are getting their heads cut off and blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, that's not what they're going for on Rebels. But, you know, then there are also people who legitimately, you know, give the, give the show a chance and watch it and, you know, see what they think and it's just not for them. And that's fine. I mean, you know, not everybody's going to like everything that comes out, but like you said, for the most part, it seems like the reaction has been really positive. Um, and certainly even on certain, you know, forums and comments and things where, uh, where I've been reading a lot of stuff, it seems like the reaction is a lot more positive now than it was maybe like six months ago when we first started seeing, the first trailers and stuff. And I think they've won over a lot of people who at first were not all that impressed with it or who were just like, Oh, Disney's going to screw up star Wars and blah, blah, blah. It's like now that it's actually out and we've gotten to see it, I think it's won some people over. And, um, the, the reaction to it after seeing the first episode seems to be more positive than, um, even some of the anticipation leading up to it was. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's great that this many people are liking it so far. And I think the show's definitely, you know, starting off on the right foot and, uh, is off to a great start. And like I said, I think the next episode is even better. So we'll just have to see, you know, how far they can keep going from here. But, uh, yeah, it definitely seems like a great start. Yeah. And 
Disney, you know, has so much confidence in it because the day before, I think it was, yeah, the day before the episode's premiere, it already got announced that a second season <laughs> has officially been ordered. So that was great to hear, too. Like, you don't see that too much where before the series even starts, the second season gets ordered because it's good to know that Disney has the confidence in this series to give it another second season already, which was cool. Yeah, for sure. Um, that was kind of a surprise. Yeah, like you said, because it was the like the day or two before um, the show got announced and it was like, yeah, Star Wars Rebels hasn't even premiered yet, but we're getting a second season. Um, so that's great to know. Not necessarily a surprise, but it was a surprise yeah. to get it this early. Um, so, yeah, definitely great to know that uh, the people working on it believe in the show, that the Disney executives and everybody are thinking that this is going to be a big success. So, um, yeah, can't wait to see how long they go with it and, uh, you know, just how, how far they're able to take it in the future. Yeah, the only thing about the announcement for the second season was that it was revealed that Greg Wiseman isn't going to be serving as a producer for the second season. It looks like he's only going to be involved in season one. And that uh, former Clone Wars writer, Henry, Gil- Henry Gilroy, is going to be the co-executive producer and supervising writer for season two, which is cool. But this raises the question, of like, wonder what happened with Greg Wiseman. Because at Comic-Con, you just heard Dave Filoni and Simon Kinberg just rave about him as like how great he was to work with and just how much he was involved with these characters as far as getting them established. So this makes me wonder, I hope there wasn't like any type of falling out thing with Greg Wiseman and Lucasfilm. Maybe it's something he's just working on another project. I mean, people are asking him on Twitter, but he usually his pretty much catchphrase that he uses on Twitter is just like no spoilers. So even when it comes to what happened <laughs> in this area, he just goes no spoilers. So there's people thinking maybe he's working on another Star Wars project that he can't announce yet, or maybe just something different in general. So who knows? But I just found it interesting that he's only beyond this first season. So and since he apparently had a big part to play in getting these characters uh, written out and kind of establishing what they're going to be like, so but. As long as Dave Filoni is still involved, that's, in my opinion, all that really matters when it comes to Star Wars animated TV shows because he's the heart and soul when it comes to the, the Star Wars animation now. And if it was announced that he wasn't going to be involved, oh, man, <laughs> it would have caused an uproar, that's for sure. Yeah. Unless, I mean, if Dave Filoni were to leave Star Wars Rebels, I would be convinced until I found out otherwise that he left to, to work on a different Star Wars project. There you go. Um, yeah. Especially, you know, if they were letting him direct a Star Wars movie or if yeah. they wanted to do a Star Wars animated movie or something like that. But yeah, I mean, as long as Dave stays involved in, in Star Wars animation, I'm happy. Not that he can't do go off and do other stuff because, you know, it's his life. The man can do whatever he wants to. But I mean, he, he really has been, um, you know, just great. Uh, to have as part of the franchise for us Star Wars fans. I mean, Dave Filoni at this point is like the George Lucas of Star Wars animation. Yeah, so, um, yeah, you know, it, it would be like George Lucas leaving Star Wars, which he did, but, you know, he's <laughs> getting old and retired and sold off the company to Disney. But, you know, it, it, like imagine if he made episode one and then just decided, like, I'm going to let somebody else make two and three and I'm done. Um, that would be like Dave Filoni leaving in the middle of Star Wars Rebels. So. Um, yeah, I'm glad that he's still around and Simon Kinberg too, because he is obviously, you know, a successful, uh, Hollywood producer and writer and everything. And so to have him involved on the show is great. And, uh, just hearing some of the interviews and stuff that he's been given. I mean, I'm almost surprised by like his enthusiasm for it. Like he's, you know, been the, the writer and executive producer on like X-Men first class and X-Men days of future past and a bunch of other like big Hollywood blockbusters. And so that's not the kind of guy you would expect to be working behind the scenes on an animated show, but he's like really into, uh, you know, just really into working on star Wars. And I mean, he just had a new interview with him come out, um, just before the show aired 
And uh, again, he's just talking about how he first came to work on the show and how he had never worked on Star Wars before, but he knew Kathleen Kennedy. And when she took over as head of Lucasfilm, she came to him and asked if he'd want to work on Star Wars. And he was like, well, heck yeah, I want to work on Star Wars. I love Star Wars. So, um, you know, just having all these people involved on the on the show and with the, the franchise in general who grew up with the original trilogy. And now it, it's almost like the like a passing of the torch in the way um, with George Lucas leaving. And now it's like the, the saga is in the hands of people who grew up on the original trilogy and loved it and want to take care of it. And, uh, you know, I, I think nothing against George Lucas because I love George Lucas and will always be grateful to him for giving us the first six Star Wars movies in the first place, without which we would never have any of this Clone Wars or Rebels or Episode Seven or anything else. But, um you know, with with George, it was like, you know, he could kind of go off and do whatever he wanted to do. And there's people who criticize him for, you know, using too much CGI in the prequels and blah, 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 and just going off and playing with his toys and his money and wanting to, you know, do whatever he wants to do. Whereas this new generation of people like Dave Filoni and Simon Kinberg and J.J. Uh, Abrams and people like that are like, okay, I grew up with the original trilogy. I love the original trilogy and I want to capture that spirit and that magic again. And they're not looking to sort of experiment with Star Wars and go off in new directions like they know what the fans want and i mean they're not necessarily going to give us everything that the fans want to see because sometimes that might not even be the best thing in the story and other times like i said you just can't please everybody but um i I think just uh you know having all these people working on it that are you know successful hollywood and uh you know animation and movie and whatever um directors and producers and stuff in their own right but also people who really love and care about star wars i think is going to be a really great thing for the series going forward yeah definitely i mean it's safe to say that at least in my opinion i think star wars is in great hands with the creative people they have involved on all fronts the movies and the animated series of course and it's just like i said a great time we're about we're entering the golden era of star wars the golden age of star wars and it's starting or it started yesterday with the, the premiere of star wars rebels so just going to be great to experience it all in the years to come. It's just going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, for more on Rebels, we've got some new clips and stuff. These are all on uh, rebelspodcast.com, and we've got links to them on our Twitter page, and, uh, you know, you can find them on YouTube and all that kind of stuff. There's a new clip with Kanan and the Inquisitor and their lightsaber duel from an upcoming episode. Apparently, it has a big spoiler in it, so watch at your own risk. I didn't see any spoilers when I watched it, and, like, I, I saw it on a website that said, you know, spoiler alert, and then I watched it, and I was like, that wasn't spoilerish. but apparently there's something in the background that I missed that's a, a spoiler. I'm guessing it's a dead body. I don't know what it is, but, um, <laughs> I mean, Tim, I know you said it, you saw it and, and got the spoiler, but, yeah. um, but just, I mean, the, the clip itself is really cool. Um, because, I mean, you've got Kanan dueling the Inquisitor, and then the Inquisitor is sort of, like, analyzing his lightsaber fighting style as they're, as you know, while they're in the middle of this duel, and he's like, oh, yes, I have access to all the Jedi Temple archives on all the, you know, the previous Jedi Masters and stuff, and I'm guessing you studied under Master Depa Bilaba, because in, uh, you know, when she was in close quarters combat, she relied on Form 3, and that's what you're doing, but you're not as good as she was, and all this kind of stuff, so, I mean, that was just really cool to me, um, to, you know, get nods to some of those things that had previously been mostly in the EU, with, like, mentioning the specific forms of lightsaber combat and stuff like that. Um, so, and and also, I mean, the way it sort of connects to, like I said, in A New Dawn, when, uh, 
obviously Depa Balaba is sort of a big character just in flashbacks and stuff because obviously she's dead by the time the the actual story starts in the book. But um, there's sort of a lot of callbacks to that and Kanan remembering training with her and stuff like that. And so to see that, you know, that referenced in the in this clip from an episode, it's like, okay, well, you can already kind of start to tell the little subtle ways that all these stories are going to interconnect like this and sort of just build on each other. So that was really neat to see. Yeah, it was such a great clip. And like you said, the Quizzer's dialogue was really cool. I mean, it was a small thing to say, but I just really got a kick out of him here and say that, oh, I have access to all the Jedi archives now. It's like, yeah, of course he does. He's in Coruscant now. That's the central heart of the heart of the Empire with the Emperor Palpatine resolved. Of course you're going to have uh, all the access to those records. It is really cool. I mean, it's something so obvious, but to hear him actually say that, it, I just thought it was really cool to hear. And makes you just think of how now that the Empire is taking over and that what we've experienced so much in this uh, last few years of being in the prequels and the Clone Wars, Coruscant being the center of the Republic and the Jedi Temple, like the source for good. But now it's like the heart of evil now. <laughs> That's where Emperor Palpatine resides. And what, what used to be the sacred Jedi Temple is just like now an information data that probably Palpatine only shares with just a select few, like the Inquisitor, Darth Vader, and probably just shuts it off to anyone else and just wants to have everyone forget about it. But I just loved how he brought that up. I thought that was so cool. I just can't wait to see this episode. I think it's, I mean, as good as the premiere was and what I've been hearing about the second episode, it's, this one's going to be probably the best, one of the better ones in this uh, series' early run. So I just can't wait to see it. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to that one. We've also got another new clip of uh, Hera and Sabine investigating an old Republic base. And this is one that they showed at San Diego Comic-Con and that I've seen descriptions of. But this is the first time we we're actually able to see it online. This looks like a pretty cool clip, too, especially um, I know, Tim, you and I were talking about this earlier and saying it was just cool to see in this old Republic base some um, derelict you know, gunships and ARC 170s and stuff like yeah. that. Um, and then these weird like uh what do you call creatures that nocturnal yeah they're like these you know monsters that hunt in the dark and stuff and come out of the shadows and they're fighting these big monsters and stuff so that was pretty neat to see too um i don't know what episode that's going to be from but that should be another one that's cool to see when it finally comes out yeah again like everything i've seen so far with the clips and previews we're getting for what's coming down the pipe with star wars rebels it's all just looking very good and very promising yeah <laughs> and it's glad yeah. that it's finally here now where we're not gonna have to wait too long to see these episodes <laughs> yeah we're gonna finally start getting them on a weekly basis here yeah. pretty shortly um and then we've got a clip and this was actually really cool for me to see um just this behind the scenes look at how they make the lightsabers on star wars rebels um and again it's just talking with joel aaron who's the special effects supervisor on clone or on rebels and was the same on clone wars and um I mean, he's just talking about the extensive process that he went through to not just make the lightsabers look good, but to try to replicate the look of the lightsabers from the original trilogy because they had a distinct sort of look and sort of flicker and color to them that they didn't really have on the digital sabers in the prequel trilogy and in the Clone Wars. Um, and he's, you know, they're basically interviewing him through this whole clip and he's talking about how he went to. Um, you know, interview people who worked on the visual effects for the original trilogy and sort of get their take on it and figure out what sort of techniques they used. And he went back and looked at original props and how they worked and moved and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, just again, it, it's just one more person working behind the scenes on new Star Wars content who you just see their their love and affection and the care that they put into it. 
and just makes you, again, think that, yeah, wow, this series is in really great hands because the people working on it are not just like, oh, yeah, cool, Star Wars, let's tell a Star Wars story. And they're not like, oh, Star Wars makes money, so let's make a show about it and we'll make some money off of it. No, they're like, we're Star Wars fans and there are Star Wars fans out there who want good Star Wars content and we're going to make this the best that we possibly can, right down to replicating the flickering of the lightsaber from the original movie. So, you know, just really, you know, more really great stuff. If you haven't seen that clip yet, I would definitely recommend checking it out. Yeah, and it's something that they probably know most people who are watching or are diehard Star Wars fans aren't even going to notice that and just going to think it's a lightsaber. But the fact that they're, like you said, they're big Star Wars fans, they notice it, they wanted to have that same look and feel. It's just great to know that those type of people are working on this series. I mean, Joel Aaron was great on The Clone Wars. So it's great that he's with Rebels and that he's still like going that extra mile to make those lightsabers look as good as they did here and just have that original trilogy feel. So, yeah, like I said, that was a really cool video to check out. Yeah. And then lastly, um, I guess they're going to have these new series of behind the scenes videos on StarWars.com called Rebels Recon. Um, and so this first video came out after, you know, right after the premiere of Spark of the Rebellion. Um, and it's just, you know, a, a neat little five minute behind the scenes featurette where they're talking to the cast and crew and Dave Filoni and everybody about the making of the show. So um, that's something cool you can check out and uh, probably something to check out on a weekly basis after each episode to just get a little sneak peek behind the scenes at, uh, you know, all these new stories we're going to be getting. Yeah, it was a nice surprise to get. Like right after Star Wars Rebels aired on the East Coast, StarWars.com put that right up. Oh, that's cool. I mean, but then to find out it's going to be a new feature for every episode, I was like, oh, it's even better. So it's going to be like those uh, Clone Wars uh, like behind the scenes look that we got with Dave Filoni, the commentary videos we got from him. So, but these ones seem cool too, and kind of go all aspects: interview with voice actors, production team, and previews for next episode. So, yeah, definitely a cool feature that we can look forward to along with each new episode of Star Wars Rebels. Yeah, and of course, you know, on the uh, on StarWars.com, they've got the episode guides, and so you can go on there and check out these Rebels Recon videos. You can see concept art and trivia galleries, and uh, you know, character descriptions and all that kind of good stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah, so obviously we're excited to finally be in the era of Star Wars Rebels and of new Star Wars stories. Um, seems like the show's off to a great start and we're going to be keeping track of it every week. Um, we probably won't be reviewing every episode on this show, um, but, you know, if you want weekly, uh, recaps of Star Wars Rebels, you can check out our friends Mike and Matt over on the Rebels podcast and they do weekly episodes just devoted to Star Wars Rebels. We'll still be talking episode seven and, uh, you know, all that other good stuff that we like to cover. And since we record every couple of weeks, we could, you know, we might, uh, just sort of run down the, the last couple episodes of Rebels that have aired since our last episode and, um, you know, maybe give some brief thoughts or summaries on those, or, you know, we might do an in-depth review of a really cool or pivotal episode or something like that. But for the most part, we're not going to focus on like weekly, uh, Rebels recaps. We'll kind of keep up with the series as it's going, but, uh, we're still going to be mostly focusing on all our episode seven rumors and all that good stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, hopefully you guys enjoyed the Rebels premiere as much as we did. As you guys know, for all the latest uh, Star Wars news and rumors and updates and Rebels clips and previews and all that kind of good stuff, you can follow us on Twitter at Star Wars TSC. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Star Wars The Saga Continues. And you can uh, check out our website at StarWarsTSC.com. Um, where we have links to all this kind of stuff, and you can uh, find all these stories as soon as they happen. 
Um, you can also send us email at starwarstsc at gmail.com if you want to send us thoughts, comments, questions, uh, anything like that, and we will read, you know, listener responses on the show and reply to you guys. Um, always love hearing from our listeners, so uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Hope you enjoy Star Wars Rebels, and we will see you next time. May the Force be with you. See you next time, everybody.